Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and this is the week to listen to the show if you're going to listen to one. Because UFC 280 is on the horizon, and it is absolutely stacked with talent. I can't wait to break this one down. We've got a lot to talk about in the world of mixed martial arts, and we are also just absolutely chock full of great interviews to bring you uh, to bring you this week because I got to speak to a lot of the who's who in the world of mixed martial arts and of course perhaps the name at the top of that list is UFC president Dana White who joined me to discuss everything going on around UFC 280 and some other topics surrounding the world of mixed martial arts you'll definitely want to tune into that one as well as the top pound for pound fighter in the sport who can say in the same week they've got the President of the UFC and the top pound-for-pound fighter in the sport on the same show, Alexander Volkanovsky, will join us to talk about his role as the backup for the main event of UFC 280. In addition to that, we have TJ Dillashaw joining us, who will be trying to become a three-time UFC bantamweight champion. And we'll also be joined by Balal Muhammad. Remember the name from the feature prelim that's going to air on TSN this Saturday against Sean Brady. That could headline absolutely any fight night card throughout the year. That is an awesome, awesome fight, and we are lucky to have that one uh, as the featured prelim. And Canadian flavor on the show, the only Canadian competing at UFC 280 is Malcolm Gordon, who's got a pretty tall task ahead of him facing undefeated prospect Muhammad Mokhaev, and he is well aware of it being a tall task and uh, spoke to him a little bit about that and what it means to face somebody uh, like Mokhaev at this juncture in his career. And finally, he is one of the biggest managers in terms of mixed martial arts who uh, has a pretty strong opinions of his own. That's uh, Ali Abdelaziz of Dominance MMA, who will join us to discuss all of the different fighters he has competing at uh, UFC 280 and beyond. So I uh, always like catching up with Ali and hearing what he has to say about his clients and uh, their upcoming battles in the, uh, in the cage. But before we get to all of those interviews, why don't we break down... UFC Fight Night Grosso versus Araujo. To recap that for you guys and go through what was a, a pretty good card. I mean, a, a lot happened. Not sure how much of it will impact any particular division with the exception of perhaps the main event, which was won by Alexa Grosso. I mean, she just did a phenomenal job in terms of her counters in this fight. I really think that was the difference makers. When they got into their exchanges, it n- never really seemed like Araujo was getting the better of them because Grosso was so sharp with her... Uh, counters, hitting her at the very end of her punches, getting in and out quickly, and she was always kind of the last one in the exchanges, because she would land the shot that would do the most damage. Uh, I thought a 49-46 or 50-45 scorecards, uh, both of which she was afforded by the judges, were perfectly good scorecards. I thought that there's no way Araujo won that fight. It wasn't, it was a very, it's an interesting fight. It's like one of those ones where you could say it was 50-45 for one fighter, but it was a close fight. And those happen from time to time. And I feel like a lot of those times, you'll see people say like, oh, you have to give so-and-so at least two rounds. That's not necessarily the case. You're judging on a round-by-round basis. And I thought Grosso uh, did a fantastic job, uh, again, of utilizing her counters, uh, staying out of trouble for the entire fight. And, uh, you know, really just a, a very workmanlike performance from Alexa Grosso, who now positions herself very favorably in the women's flyweight division. Of course, we do have a big matchup this weekend at UFC 280 in said division between Manon Fior, who's a massive up-and-coming talented division, against the gatekeeper of the division, 
Caitlin Jukagian, who's looking to get another crack at Valentina Shevchenko in her own right. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. And Grasso was pretty vocal about the fact that she wants to do one more main event. She wants to fight five more rounds against someone else before fighting for the title. So I think those comments really will be favorable for whoever ends up winning at UFC 280. And of course, there's also the option that Valentina Shevchenko decides to jump up and face Amanda Nunes in the trilogy fight for the Bantamweight Championship. So if she does that, then maybe we see an interim title bout between Alexa Grasso and uh, the winner of Fior and Chukagian. Plus, we have Jessica Andrade uh, against Lauren Murphy in the future as well. So let's, let's keep that in mind too. We don't want to dismiss anybody's potential shot at a title. So kudos to Alexa Grasso. She's showing a lot of improvement from fight to fight, and I think Viviana Araujo was a great litmus test for her to see where she's at. She posed, poses a lot of different problems that Grasso has had trouble with in the past, and she rose to the occasion in that one. Jonathan Martinez defeats Cub Swanson with a, a vicious leg kick. I mean, he was going after Cub's legs. Cub looked good at 135 pounds, you know. I think this was more of a uh, commentary on how good Jonathan Martinez is rather than Cub Swanson being past his prime, which I think we can all kind of acknowledge he is. But at the same time, I thought Cub Swanson would be a very tough out for Jonathan Martinez, but Martinez dominated that fight, looked fantastic, was landing big, heavy head kicks, heavy leg kicks, and was showing that he was a superior striker. I, I think it was a little bit late for Cub to make those adjustments that you have to make to beat a guy like Jonathan Martinez. That was the way that I thought Swanson would win the fight, was by being able to make those adjustments. But by the time it came... Time to make those adjustments. I think he had taken too much damage at that point already. And uh, that last leg kick, whew, Cub, Cub just went to his back. and was like, I, I can't take it. Too many more of these. So kudos to Jonathan Martinez. Vote for Pedro. Guys, uh, one to watch right now in the bantamweight division. Only, I believe, 28 years of age. So he's just entering his prime now. I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of fighters in the bantamweight division with his skill set and his improvements under... James Krause. Is it James Krause or is it... Uh... No, actually, sorry. It's not James Krause. He's... Uh... I always associate James Krause with Factory X and Mark Montoya because that's where James Krause used to train as a fighter. But Jonathan Martinez uh, trains over at Factory X with Mark Montoya. And uh, Brendan Royval, I know, was a big training partner for him who unfortunately didn't get the fight on this card. A uh, real shame because I thought that was the best fight on the card was Royval versus Askarov. Dusko Todorovic defeats Jordan Wright. Second round, TKO, elbows and punches. Wright with a dominant first round. Was really laying it on Todorovic. I don't know if Todorovic landed more than two significant strikes in that first round. It was all one-way traffic for Jordan Wright. And then Wright, as he has been wont to do in the past, ran out of steam. And Dusko Todorovic was able to completely turn the tables on him. I actually think that was probably his strategy. Was weather the storm in the first. Don't show, show too many of your cards early. And then when Wright is depleted, that's when you take advantage. And that's what Todorovic did, which was a veteran move on his part. Looked good in that fight. And uh, I hope we continue to see Jordan Wright, honestly, in the UFC. I think he's a really good fighter who continues to improve. But he just has some really glaring flaws, which uh, include his cardio. Um, his durability, I think, over time is going to just continue to wane as he takes this kind of damage. So we'll see where he goes from here. Rafaela Sunsau might be the story of the card. 
decision victory unanimous. 30-27 across the board against Victor Henry. Asunsao was a, a plus 250 underdog. And if you listen to me last week, I said it was kind of a take Asunsao by decision and kind of close your eyes, hope for the best. And the best is what took place. Asunsao looking great, looking revitalized, uh, training in Las Vegas under the great Eric Nixick. Looks like he has been reborn. Uh, the second second breath of air for his career uh, at age 39. And I, I, you know, he's always been a tough out. He's always been so, so underrated and versatile. I've always really liked Rafael Sunsau since the WEC days. Just a, a really, really skilled fighter. And I thought, like I mentioned all last week, that they had really overcorrected the steering wheel here. I think that Sunsau's four losses against elite competition shouldn't make him a plus 250 underdog against a guy who has one really good win in the UFC in Victor Henry. He's a veteran as well, 35 years old. It's not like he's an up-and-coming prospect. He's probably close to the finished product. So kudos to Rafael Asuncao. Alonzo Menafield defeats Misha Zirkunov. This was a tough one to watch. First-round KO. You know, Misha has all the tools, but it seems like he's had a lot of trouble putting it all together. And uh, this was uh, a tough one for him because I know it was the last fight of his UFC contract, and I would be surprised to see him in the UFC once again. He, he always is an exciting fight. So that, that will be something that is always an asset for him. But I wouldn't be shocked to see him in the PFL in, in their light heavyweight tournament. I think he would probably do pretty well over there. It's a good field, but I think that he can hold his own. And Menafield now training with one-man corner, Pat Barry in his corner. Uh, strange not to see Safe Sayud, who's been synonymous with his career up until this point. But uh, he looked very good. He looked a little bit shaken, honestly, to get a win in the way that he did, because Misha Sergeant was out for some time. And I wish Misha nothing but the best. Uh, a guy who I always have enjoyed talking to and covering in this sport, uh, as someone who covers the Canadians pretty intently. Mana Martinez defeats Brandon Davis. Split decision. 29-28, 29-28, and then 29-28 for Davis. Uh, Close, close fight. And Mana Martinez was close to putting Davis away. He survived the uh, late barrage in the second and came back and had a great third round. So really it came down to how the first round was scored. And two judges... Lucky for Mana Martinez, scored it for him. Uh, not lucky, like he didn't deserve it, but, you know, when it comes to the scorecards in a very close round like that first round, really could have gone either way. Jacob Malkoon defeats Nick Maximov, 30-27 across the board. I mean, if you bet Jacob Malkoon to get a finish ever in a fight after watching this, like, you're basically throwing your money away. Like, Nick Maximov was fighting with one leg for, like, 13 minutes of that fight, and Malkoon was unable to find a finish. For anybody who had the over in that fight, and I think a lot of people probably did because that fight had over it and all over it, they were probably having a good schwitz during that fight. If you don't speak Yiddish, that means you're sweating profusely. So I expect that, uh, you know, Max Malkun's a great fighter. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that he's a very strategic fighter who is better suited to outpointing his opponent. I don't think that he's really uh, can say that he's got fantastic finishing ability if he was unable to finish Maximov, who was you know, barely getting cleared by doctors to go go to the next round. Joe Anderson Brito, rear naked choke submission win over Lucas Alexander. Alexander, uh, welcome to the UFC moment where him took this fight on short notice, and Brito is continuing to look better and better in the cage. Although, hard to say against somebody who's uh, a newcomer to the UFC, but uh, that was one-way traffic. Piera La Fiera. Rodriguez defeats Sam Hughes 29-28 across the board. Uh, I was very surprised by how Sam Hughes approached this fight. I thought she would have had a more grappling-heavy approach. and Instead, she was fending off takedowns, it seemed. So uh, kudos to Piero Rodriguez remains undefeated. 
Speaking of, uh, I believe he's undefeated, Tatsuro Taira, fantastic uh, prospect, defeats CJ Vergara by armbar. He was just throwing the kitchen sink in terms of submissions at him and ended up finding one in the second round. Vergara misses weight at 129 pounds. I expect he'll be fighting at bantamweight going forward. This is the second weight miss for him. And Pete Rodriguez uh, knocks Mike Jackson out in vicious fashion. First round, a minute and 33 seconds in. So there's a roundup for uh, UFC Fight Night. Grosso versus Araujo. But, I mean, this was... If you're looking at appetizers, this is like like a, a, a garden salad compared to the uh, steak dinner that we're going to be getting uh, this weekend's UFC 280 card. This card is just absolutely stacked, and I can't wait to uh, to see it go down. Because we've got the fight that I've been most looking forward to, at least since Oliveira took on Gaethje, Islam Makhachev against Charles Oliveira. This is the fight of 2022. I can't wait to see how this one plays out because, to me... This can play out in a variety of different ways, really. Like, would you be shocked if Islam Makhachev completely dominates Charles Oliveira, gets him on the ground, stays in advantageous positions on the ground, you know, fends off Charles Oliveira's submission attacks and finds a submission of his own, or lands ground and pound and gets a win? I would not be shocked. And I love Charles Oliveira. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch ever. Maybe my favorite fighter ever in terms of just entertainment and, and creativity and what he brings to the table. And would you be surprised if Charles Oliveira landed a knee up the middle and knocked Islam Akhachev down and choked him out in the first round? Not at all. That's what Oliveira does. Oliveira throws himself into the fire and hopes to be a Molotov cocktail. This guy is just a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. And he seems to be willing to take any risk necessary to win a fight and throw himself in harm's way as long as he ends up leaving the victor. And Islam Akhachev is the complete opposite. He's probably one of the most risk-averse fighters in the UFC. He takes so few strikes. Under one strike, significant strike landed on him per minute. So in a single round, that means on average, he's eating less than five significant strikes. Like, that's how you have a long career, is by not taking that kind of damage. But Charles Oliveira, I don't believe he's going to allow that to happen. So, the way that I'm going about this fight, if you're going to look at it from a betting standpoint, I take fight ends by submission. It's minus 130. That way, if either guy gets a submission, you're, you're good. And that's the way I'd approach this. I just think this is a very volatile fight. I think it could end in the first. I think it could end in the fifth. Like, there's so many different ways that this goes down. But I think if you're going to look for what is the most likely way that this fight ends, and you don't have to pick a winner, I'm going by submission, minus 130. Like, you're covered on both sides. The, the price isn't too high. Both of these guys are fantastic submission practitioners. I'm going with that with that line for this particular fight. In terms of how I think it's going to play out, like I said, tough one to call. If you could have gotten Charles Oliveira at the early lines, if you look at where the line movement in this fight, it's outrageous. There was a time where Islam Makhachev was minus... It was basically two months if, if you were looking at it for futures. He was a minus 400 favorite for two months. And then suddenly, I guess it opens some more places, so the average line dropped was minus 225. And then since May, it's been, it got back up to the 245 range in terms of, again, betting av- like average line. And now it's sitting in like the minus 180 range. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you like Islam Makhachev, this is the last chance you're going to be able to extract any sort of value out of an Islam Makhachev line. Anything under minus 200, if he wins this fight going forward, is going to be impossible going forward. I don't, I don't think you'll see him for years to come at anything better than minus 200 if he wins this fight. So if you're a Makhachev backer, Lay the, lay the juice. Lay down the minus 175. 
If you're an Oliveira backer, I don't know. I think all the value's kind of been extracted out of this line, to be honest. I think you, you look for... First off, I don't think Oliveira's going to win a decision in this one, so that's one thing you can do to get a little bit of extra money is you just take the inside-the-distance prop on Oliveira if you can find it. If you can get Oliveira by sub, plus 320, I like that. Even the KO line, plus 500 if you want some real value. Uh, I think that could happen as well, but I believe a submission is probably more likely uh, to be the outcome of this fight, regardless of winners. So that that's my analysis on how the fight goes, because like I said off the top, I think this fight could end any which way. I don't think it's going to a decision, though. Like, if you want a safe parlay piece, fight doesn't go as minus 430. Like, if you want to do a stack up a parlay with a bunch of kind of low-value lines, not necessarily low-value, but, you know, chalky lines, you might want to look at that. Even if you want under under four and a half, you can get it at minus three fifteen in some places. Or fight fight won't start round four at FanDuel minus one ninety. I think that fan or sorry won't start round five is minus three ten. But minus one ninety won't start round four. I think is good value as well. I don't think this hits the championship rounds personally. Those are all safe parlay pieces in my opinion. The co-main event: Aljamain Sterling minus one eighty six, TJ Dillashaw plus one forty four at the time of this recording via our friends at FanDuel. I think this is lined properly. Like, Aljamain's the younger fighter. He's on a roll. TJ has fought, what, once in the last three years? But TJ is going to be a tough out. And if, if you're going to say who's the better wrestler, I'd say probably Dillashaw, honestly. I, but I think the better grappler is Sterling. Like, I think once it gets to the ground, Sterling's a lot more versatile and has a lot more that he can offer. And I think in terms of striking, I think Dillashaw's the better striker. So... It's going to come down to how good you think TJ Dillashaw still is. Like, if TJ Dillashaw is still as good as he was three years ago, where based, you know, looking at his age, I think that's probably, you know, improbable. But this Dillashaw, if he's as good as that Dillashaw, this should be not be a, uh, he shouldn't be an underdog. He should probably be favored. But if you think, hey, he's only fought once in three years, he got knocked out by Cejudo at flyweight, so that'll perhaps impact his durability. We've seen him get dropped in the past. But that said, again, Sterling's not really a power puncher. That's not really how he wins his fights. So, to me, I think it's a dogger pass. I think that if you if you want to find any sort of value, you just take the under four and a half. Oh, sorry, the over rather the over four and a half. You like, like minus one ninety, and you you parlay it with something. Like if you took the over four and a half, let's let's put something together here using Fanduel. If you take Oliveira. Makashev doesn't go to decision, and you take Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling. Fight starts round five. It's a minus one forty-two. Like yeah, you could add maybe like Chukagian and Fioro goes to a decision and make that number even better if you want to. Like there are a lot of lines here. The way that I'm approaching this fight is I know these are really high caliber fighters. Anything you know that means that the it's easier to kind of analyze how the fights are going to go, but it also means that if you miss something, like if, if you are off in terms of how you assess a fight by just a little bit, it can bite you. So to me, it's just about extracting value for this card. And that, that's the way that I'm looking. I'm approaching this, this particular card. Piotr Jan minus 250. Sean O'Malley plus 190. Based on what we've seen, you could probably say that Piotr Jan might even have some value at this point at minus 250. But I, I just know that O'Malley's a really tough opponent. Like this line is another one. It opened at minus 250 for Jan and was immediately bet up to minus 400 in a matter of, like, minutes. 
it was at minus 420. And it stayed in the minus 400 range from when it opened in July for basically two months, more, more, than, more than two months from July till September, like past almost till October, it was four to one. And now suddenly all the steam is coming in on O'Malley. So what does that tell you? It tells you that right now you're getting that same line opening value like Jan opened at minus 250. At FanDuel right now, is at minus 250. And everybody hammered that line. So, and those are usually the sharp betters to get it on, on it early. And Joe Public is the one that moves the lines during fight week. So if you want to base it on line, line movement, which I always say is not necessarily the way you want to handicap fights, but if you're looking at line value, you can get Jan at, at a pretty decent price if you want to parlay him. But I do think that this is a pretty close matchup. I think that O'Malley is fairly underrated. But the problem is, we haven't really seen him beat any elite competition or anything close. And Piotr Jan is arguably the best fighter in the bantamweight division. I know that Aljamain Sterling beat him, but if you look at the first fight, Jan was on his way to cruising to a victory before he made a, a, a terrible error that cost him the title. Like, if you matched up Jan versus Sterling a hundred times, who do you think wins more than 50% of the time. I think most people would say it's Piotr Jan. If you matched up Jan and Dillashaw a hundred times, who do you think wins more than 50% of the time? I'd say Piotr Jan. So there are levels to this, and this is a very steep climb for Sean O'Malley. And that's why I think at this stage, it's favored or pass. Like, I, I think that the value for the O'Malley line has been completely extracted. It was You, could, you had two months to grab it at, my, at plus 330, and now it's at plus 190. So, you missed the boat if you liked Sean O'Malley. You, you had a long time to get on the boat, but it's left the pier. And I don't think it's coming back. Benil Dariush, plus 162. Mateusz Gamrot, minus 210. This is a close fight. I, I think it's dogger pass, honestly, on this one. I think that Gamrot's a phenomenal fighter, elite fighter, but so is Benil Dariush. The one thing I like here is Dariush by submission at plus 1,000. Like, Dariush is one of the elite grapplers at 155, among a lot of other elite grapplers like those in the main event at UFC 280. But you can get plus 1,000 on him by sub. It's like, whew, I can't leave that on the table. Like, that's way too much value for an outcome that I think is possible. Like, usually when you see plus 1,000, it's like, meh, maybe it'll happen. You know, we don't... We, you see people that have never scored a submission win to win by sub at plus 1,000. Like, I took Sadiq Youssef to win by sub at plus 1,200, and he had never scored a sub as a professional fighter. But, you know, the Ariush is a wizard on the ground. We all know this. And I know that he's a decent-sized underdog to begin with here, but if you can get him by sub at plus 1,000, whew, it's my dart throw of the week for TSN Edge, that's for sure. But I think this is a very close fight, honestly, and that's why I think it's dogger pass. I think Benil Darius is extremely talented, um, and too talented to be this big of an underdog in this spot. Manon Fior, minus 225. Caitlin Chukagian, plus 172. To me, this is the slam dunk of the card. It's not, the, not a slam dunk that's for sure going to happen, but the, the highest value on this card is unequivocally, unequivocally, if you want me to say it properly, Caitlin Chukagian at plus 250 by decision. Like, Caitlin Chukagian has more decision wins than any fighter in women's UFC history. She has 11 decision wins. She's not going to finish Manon Fior. It could be a freak injury. You never know. But plus 250 to win by decision 
in a fight that I think is going to be very much a point-fighting affair. And if anything, I think Chukagian is going to be the one that's going to be able to get it to the ground. Plus 250 Chukagian by decision to me. And I, I think Manon Fiore is a phenomenal fighter. I think that she could contend for the title one day. But this is a steep jumping competition to Caitlin Chukagian. Steep. Uh, I know Jennifer Maya is good and she's fought for the title, but... I mean, Caitlin Jukagian picked her. I think she beat her tw- beat her twice, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, to me, Jukagian decision plus 250. That's uh, an absolute recommendation on my end. Sean Brady, minus 146. Bilal Muhammad, plus 114. That sounded like an edit. I could hear it as I said it, that it sounded like I had edited that together. But I just dove right in because I'm excited about it. It's the featured prelim. It airs on TSN this Saturday. Brady... Again, a decent-sized favorite, minus 146, a marginal favorite. And I don't know. To me, this is a coin toss fight, and I actually think that I would lean Bilal Muhammad just even if it was straight up like a, a pick em in this fight because both of these guys are phenomenal grapplers. Bilal Muhammad's takedown defense is 91%. He's been training in Dubai with all of, with Khabib and his team. It's probably all he's been doing is wrestle, 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 stop takedowns. And then on the feet... I think that Muhammad has better val- uh, volume. I think he's the, the crisper striker. I'm shocked that he's the underdog here, to be honest. And uh, I, I, would, I would consider taking him as an underdog. But I also think that your best bet is also just looking at the over. Or fight goes to decision at minus 280 and using that as a parlay piece. Because I, I, do you see a finish in this fight? I, I, I would be surprised if we saw a finish in this fight, to be honest. So I think that's the way you approach this, is you use that as a parlay piece. Like I think there are all these fights that have some decent value on totals, on time totals and things of that nature, that if you put those all together, you can get some good value out of it. If you put enough of them together, like if you take Chukagian Fjord goes to a decision. Muhammad Brady goes to a decision. Olivera Makhachev doesn't go to a decision. Mukhayev and Gordon doesn't go to a decision. You take all of these, you put them together, you're going to get some value out of it. So that's the way I would approach it. Even if you want to be safer, do fight starts round three. Because uh, I'd be surprised to see a finish in this spot, to be honest. And if there was, what would it be? Would it be like a Brady submission? Brady by submission plus 900. Like the KO props for both of them are so high. The sub prop is even higher, especially for Bilal Muhammad, plus 1900. Like I think that all signs are pointing to this fight going to a decision. So I will jump on that. Listen, people are afraid of taking these big numbers. If you see a minus 280, minus 400, don't be afraid. Just like find ways to extract the value out of them, like by parlaying them. I know a lot of people say parlays are kind of a soccer's game, but you can just bet them. If you just bet them individually, you'll make... Basically what a parlay is, from, what I, from my understanding, is you bet something. If you win the first leg of the parlay, basically the money that you win off of that leg gets put on the next leg. And then if you win that next leg, the money that you win off of that leg gets put on the next leg. And that's how parlays work. It just kind of saves you time from betting them individually. And also, it's kind of a way of taking people who like to see a nice little plus sign beside, beside their odds. And I, believe me, I am guilty as charged if you want to point your finger at me. But that's why well, you shouldn't really be afraid. If you see something that you think is going to be probable, and you think maybe you're getting a little bit of value on that line, you take it. Kyle Boraglio, minus 215. Mahmoud Muradov, plus 164. I understand this line, but I'd be a little bit afraid to take it. I think Boraglio was a little bit trigger shy in his last fight. I think Muradov is coming off of a bad loss to Gerald Mearshart and is going to be looking for um, 
looking to bounce back. And I think Murdov's really good. Like, I, not that Braulio's not really good. Like, Braulio, I think, is a better fighter, but is he a minus 215 better? I don't know. I, I like Braulio a lot, and I think he's got big upside. So I think he wins this fight. But uh, I would I would stay away from that minus 215, and I don't really like any angles either because I think it can end in so many varieties of ways. I try to stay away from volatile fights like that. But I would lean Braulio as a pick. Nikita Krylov, minus 180. Volkan Uzdemir, plus 140. This is an interesting one because I'm not sure that the right guy is favored here. Like I think Volkan Uzdemir might be the side on this one at plus 140. I'm going to stay away from it for now. But looking at the uh, the props from FanDuel, Krilov by TKO KO is plus 390. Uzdemir by TKO KO is plus 270. So there's a bigger likelihood based on the odds that Uzdemir wins by KO. Krilov by sub is plus 360. Uzdemir by sub plus 3400. But is, is Krilov the type of guy that gets subs suddenly? Like, a, I'll go and look at his record. But to me, he doesn't strike me as somebody that's like an elite grappler that's going to be able to find a sub necessarily against a guy as, as durable as Volkan Uzdemir. Well, he's got 15 submissions. Maybe I'm underrating him, but how many of those come in the UFC? He had the RNC against Ovin St. Preux. He had a sub against Francis Barbosa, which is tough to do, but that's in 2016. Another sub against Rogério de Lima, who's been subbed many times, and then a standing guillotine against Ned, uh, Stanislav Nedkov. But those were years ago. Those were six years ago. So in the UFC, at the UFC level, he's had one submission in the last six years. And you think that Uzdemir is going to be the guy that gets subbed here? Not that, not that it's out of the realm of possibility, but and he's been submit, submitted twice. But one was, was uh, sorry, Anthony Smith, who we've seen some, I think has the most subs maybe in lightweight, light, uh, heavyweight history. And another was Kelly Amundsen. Again, this is like nearly 10 years ago. It's eight years ago. Eight plus years ago. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a confusing one, to be honest, because the decision props, you got Krilov by decision plus 280, Uzdemir by decision plus 500. Like, wouldn't you expect that Uzdemir would be the more likely one to get the decision? That's one I might roll with, is Uzdemir decision plus 500. I think there's some good value there. We just work through this in real time, looking through, looking at the menu and saying, you know, I, I think I see something here. This is one where the number is baffling to me. Zubaira Tehugov, minus 158. Lucas Almeida plus 124. I think that's very reasonable. Like, that, that line, straight up, makes sense to me. But, you can get Almeida on FanDuel to win by sub or TKO at plus 460. And if you've watched Lucas Almeida fight, like this, this guy's a live-or-die fighter, or do-or-die fighter. He's always going for the finish. I don't think he has a single decision win to his name. So you're getting that much more value on him to get a finish here against Tahugov, who's been finished? Whew. That was one of my TSN Edge recommended plays. The value on that is astronomical. Lucas Almeida by TKO or sub at plus 460 on FanDuel. Sign me up. And if, even if it loses, like I'm still, I still feel like it's the right side, like the right approach to this particular bout. Listen, it's never the right side if you lose. But I think if you're looking for value and you're looking at probability of, of something happening in a fight, if Lucas Almeida wins this fight, so let's put it this way, it's plus 124 for him to win. But if he wins, how often is it by decision? 
like, more often than not, it's probably KO and TKO, or KO, TKO, or sub, and that's the way that he's won all of his fights. So you're getting an extra $3 in value. Whew, more. Abubakar Nurmagomedov, minus 184 against Gaji. Oh my god, Ziev. Plus 142. Uh, don't know how, what to make of this one, honestly. Like, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, when he's good, he's great. But when if he has if he's having a bad night, he can be made look to look silly. So I, I'll stay away from this one. I think Abubakar wins more often than not. I think that's the side. So if, if I'm making a straight pick, I'm going Abubakar Nurmagomedov minus one eighty four. But uh, I wouldn't touch anything from this fight with a ten foot pole. Armin Petrosian minus two thirty five. AJ Dobson plus one eighty. Now AJ Dobson is the type of guy that almost always gets first round wins in his fights, and if he doesn't, he loses. So if you like the Dobson side, maybe just take Dobson wins in round one at plus 650. Get the value out of that. Hope for the best. And uh, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I, I don't think that Dobson wins this fight if it goes beyond the first round. Muhammad Mokhaev minus 1,000. Malcolm Gordon plus 560. Now, the, one that, the thing about this fight that's interesting to me is Malcolm Gordon is a guy who aggressively chases finishes. And as a result of that, he puts himself at risk. And he either gets that finish... And if he doesn't get that finish, his opponent tends to be able to find one against him. He's another kind of live-by-the-sword, die-by-the-sword type fighter, uh, like the aforementioned Lucas Almeida. So to me, the best value on this fight is fight won't start round 3, minus 140. Like, that is a shocking line to me. Because I don't see this fight going beyond the first round in some cases. Like, what's the line on? Fight ends in round 1 as plus 150. So you're getting fight doesn't start, you're getting two full rounds of action. Before the fight starts the third round, and you're getting that at minus 140, that you're not going to find a finish, that they're going to find a finish uh, at some point in those first two rounds. Like, that to me is another line that I think just has shockingly good value. Like, the under one and a half is at minus 106. I guess it's almost like it's, it's a barely an underdog play for the under one and a half, and you're getting basically under two. At minus 140. Like under three, rather. Like you're getting it to... You're getting a free two and a half... Like two and a half minutes for not not a whole lot more to pay. So I'm going to take the... Uh, fight start... Won't start round four at minus 140. Or won't start round three. It's definitely not. Minus... Fight won't start round four. Minus 30,000. And I guarantee it wins. Because there's... Uh, this fight's scheduled for three rounds. Carol Hosa. Minus 320. Lena Landsberg. Plus 235. Um, I think that Hosa can be added comfortably to parlays if you uh, are looking at something that you need. I think that Hosa is the superior fighter. Landsberg is 40 now, gave birth in recent years. Not that that's like going to necessarily hinder her skills or anything, but it is diff- more difficult to bounce back at a later age. Um, and kudos to her for doing it. And uh, congrats to her and Akira, uh, Akira Korasani for, uh, on the birth of their child, who I think is like almost two years old now. Aljamain Sterling, we uh, went over him and uh, TJ Dillashaw. I spoke to him uh, on last week's show. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you can go and download that interview. So that's the full card. And uh, hoo-wee, I'm excited for it. It is awesome. And uh, I hope you agree. And if you don't agree, I I don't know what you would like in MMA. I think that uh, probably should get your priorities uh, intact because... This is uh, the card of the year, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of many. 
We're going to get to the interviews fairly soon. Just want to see if there's any uh, news that I have not touched upon uh, just yet. It does look like one of the fights, the uh, Magomed, Mustaf- Magomed Mustafayev fight, is off with uh, his opponent, who's a young uh, Japanese prospect, who's saying that the reason the fight was canceled was on the Mustafayev end, even though it was reported that he was still under contract to another promotion. So I don't know what the truth is there, to be honest. I mentioned Andrade versus Lauren Murphy, booked for uh, UFC 283 in Rio de Janeiro. Very, very interesting fight. I think... Like, Lauren Murphy, since she lost to Shevchenko, said that she should not have fought in that fight. That she was so ill that she had one of her worst performances. Like, probably her worst performance ever. If that's true, I want to see how she looks against Jessica Andrade. Because this is the fight where she proves that she's as good as I'm pretty sure she is. But that she's able to prove that that fight was just a hiccup. There's a lot of pressure on her in that fight, in my opinion. Tough, tough fight. So we will see how that plays out. I think that uh, you look at the main event. In my opinion, whoever wins that main event, their coach is the coach of the year. So if Charles wins, I think Diego Lima is the coach of the year. If Islam wins, Habib is the coach of the year. That's all. The uh, UFC, I don't know if it's the UFC or Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta. It looks like they started an LLC. They got Nevada State Athletic Commission approval for slap fighting. They're starting a slap fighting league. I think it's called like the Dana White Power Slap League or something along those lines. That's going to run events at the Apex. I don't really know what to make of it. People seem to have a lot of opinions, but uh, I really don't know. I haven't watched it much, and I don't know much about it. So uh, I guess let's wait and see. I mean, it doesn't seem like a very safe sport, but then again, I cover mixed martial arts for a living. I watch football on Sundays. So, is it less safe? Again, I, this is something that I have to look into with, uh, talk to some doctors and try to find out because uh, it doesn't sound like a, a very safe sport. But at the same time, I know that it's pretty popular outside of North America. And popularly doesn't necessarily matter. We've seen these like car jitsu fights where people are doing MMA inside of a car. So, you know, I don't know if safety is the number one priority for a, a, a league like car jitsu. But uh, we'll see how that goes. That's uh, an interesting one. We'll see how that all plays out in terms of uh, that sport. Will it be popular in North America? Maybe. It means people slapping each other repeatedly. Seems like something people would enjoy. Another big one, actually, that I want to touch on that I, uh, I forgot to mention. The UFC sent out a memo prohibiting fighters... And their managers, coaches, corners, etc. From wagering on bouts. Now this is an interesting one to me. Because a lot of the income. Supplementary income that these fighters make. Is from sports books. Now what constitutes. Like what are they allowed to do is my question. Like are they allowed to break down fights. Like can they record a video and say like. This is how I think the fight goes. X's and O's. This is how so-and-so would win the fight. This is how so-and-so would win the fight. I think more often than not, this person wins for that reason. They're not betting on it, but they're giving advice. Is that considered like insider trading, the equivalent of insider trading in sports betting? That's the part about it that I'm unclear about because I hate to see fighters lose any form of supplementary income. And if sportsbooks are going to shy away from this because they can't talk openly about the fights, 
and what they think is going to happen. I think that's a real issue and a real bummer. On the flip side, we see that Calvin Ridley lost $14 million or whatever it is this season in the NFL for a really like low probability parlay that he strung together of NFL games that he was not involved in because he was out at that point in time for personal reasons. I don't know what if it was an injury or what, but basically losing two seasons of NFL. He played a couple of weeks last year, but because he did something very silly that is expressly against the player code of conduct in the NFL. So I understand why the UFC are prohibiting it. Like I think that from a legality standpoint, it's kind of a bad look to have fighters who train with all of these other fighters day in and day out and know stuff that they hear through the grapevine be able to talk about picks, sell picks in some instances, where they might have some information that is, you know, will will look favorably on their record or track sheet or wallet, <laughs> right? So it's a tough one, man. Like, it's, it's one of those ones where I think the UFC are covering themselves. I don't think they're doing it to cost the fighters income, but at the same time, it costs the fighters income, potentially. We don't know that just yet. But that's why I, I look at something like this and it just makes me sad, really. Like, I think that... The fighters are having a, a lot of fun doing what they're doing. I know James Krause is having a lot of success with uh, his picks, and he's recording preview videos. In fact, this preview video came out, when, I guess the podcast came out after this memo went out. He's still technically an active fighter. He's definitely an active coach. So maybe like a lot of other things in the code of conduct that just don't get followed, it won't get followed. <laughs> right? Like, they have this code of conduct, and they haven't enforced stuff for years, and now suddenly they're going to start enforcing stuff? That's That's the problem when you... Lay out guidelines that you're not following. Because have we heard code of conduct violations from fighters that have spewed, whether it's racial rhetoric or, you know, xenophobic rhetoric? Because we've seen it. And we haven't seen, like, so-and-so gets fined. Because they're also independent contractors. And can you find an independent contractor? I I don't know. Like, it seems like we don't see it. So that's the part about it that is uh, troubling to me. And uh, I hope that uh, the fighters get a little bit of clarification on what they are allowed to do. Because, again, like, can they record preview videos and say, this is the line, this is how I think the fight is going to go. And not say, bet your money on this, but, like, I think that in this matchup, so-and-so has these advantages and they would win the fight. And I think that they, if I have to guess, I think they're going to win by second round submission. Like, are they allowed to do that? I'm going to seek clarification on that because I'm very curious as to what the boundaries are of that. Anyhow, thank you for listening to uh, my spiel. And now you can listen to my conversations. We'll start off with UFC President Dana White, who broke down UFC 280 and all things UFC in our comprehensive interview, followed by the pound-for-pound top fighter in the sport, Alexander Volkanovsky, TJ Dillashaw, Bilal Muhammad, Malcolm Gordon, and Ali Abdelaziz, from Dominance MMA, right here on the TSN MMA Show. Let's start with UFC President Dana White. The UFC is heading to Abu Dhabi for UFC 280. I mean, this is going to be a pretty easy card for you to promote, but I don't know if you heard this crazy stat from my colleague Chuck Mindenhall. If you take out Piotr Jan, who's an elite fighter in his own right, former champion, and you take the rest of the nine fighters on the main card in the, uh, the preliminary main event, they're on a combined 81-fight 
uh, unbeaten streak. It's just an unbelievable amount of talent. This could be the most talent-rich card in UFC history. Yeah, I was just talking about that yesterday with the matchmakers, and uh, it's true. And, and and especially, you know, one to really point out, somebody who sort of flies under the radar is Charles Oliveira. When you think about it, he's on an 11-fight win streak, right? It's the second longest in, in, in lightweight history behind Habib. Um, he's got the record for most finishes in UFC history. He's got the record for most submissions in UFC history. He's tied for overall UFC post-fight bonuses. He's got uh, the most performance of the Knights Awards in, in UFC history, most submissions in both UFC lightweight and featherweight history. The guy's a, a record machine. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because Khabib amassed a 13-0 record in the UFC. Like you said, it's the longest streak in lightweight history. It took him eight years to do it. Charles has done this in three years. Uh, and if he beats Islam, that's 12 in a row in three years. So when do we start talking about Charles Oliveira? in the same kind of vein as Habib. I mean, Habib will always have the undefeated record, which is always going to be a big notch on his belt. But what Charles has been doing against the level of competition he's been doing it against is incredibly impressive. You're absolutely right. And, and obviously, a win over Islam would, would start, I think, a lot of discussion about Charles Oliveira. You're often asked about the one that got away in terms of fights that uh, got booked. You know, we hear about Brock versus Fedor and things like that. But one that got away six times is Habib versus Tony Ferguson. Uh, it never ended up happening. And the reason why people were so intrigued by this fight is because Khabib's wrestling was so high level and off of his back, Tony Ferguson was going to give him problems. And that's what everybody wanted to see. This time around, we have a very similar situation here. Is Makhachev versus Oliveira kind of the next best thing? Because I'd argue that Oliveira is probably the most dangerous fighter off of his back ever that we've seen. I agree with you 100%. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to say anything negative about the other fight, but th this fight is, is about as good as it gets with two absolute studs in their prime. You know, like I was just saying, you got Oliveira, who's on an 11-fight win streak. You got Islam, who's on a 10-fight win streak, you know? Um, the only thing that you could, you could argue in this one is that Oliveira has fought much better competition in, in, in his career, but look at who Islam trains with every day. I mean... This guy trains with straight animals every day, including Habib. So you got to put you got you got you got to put that in there too. The co-main event is a great one. You've got Aljamain Sterling against T.J. Dillashaw. Now Dillashaw never lost the belt in the octagon during his last title run. He was uh, caught doing performance-enhancing drugs, which he took full responsibility for. If he's able to beat Aljamain Sterling here, is this a redemption story? Do you think people will ever be able to look at him the same way, even if he's uh, able to re regain the t uh, championship? Because, again, he never really lost it in the cage, and the situation that arose was from a flyweight fight against Cejudo. I do think so. Um, you know, we all make mistakes, and uh, how you recover from those mistakes is how people will, will look at you. So Dillashaw took responsibility. He, he, he took it like a man. Sat, waited, sat, sat out, and, and now he's coming back. So let's see what he does. I mean, ultimately, he doesn't have to answer to the public. I mean, the public are going to think what they're going to think about any range of topics. But I think at the end of the day, if he wins the championship, he can look at himself in the mirror, look at his, his son and say, you know, every you know, step of the way, I did the right thing, even though, of course, he was caught doing something wrong, uh, you know, in, during that title run. I agree with you 100%. I agree, I, I, he handled the thing like a man. You either handle your business like a man or you don't. He did. He deserves credit for that. 
he deserves respect for that. And uh, we'll see what happens. I think it's fair to say that Sean O'Malley is the biggest star that's been produced by the Dana White Contender Series to date. He's 27 years old. He's taking a massive step up in, con- uh, in competition against Piotr Jan. Uh, Jan, just an absolute machine at bantamweight. How risky is this? Like, if you were sitting in the matchmakers meeting and this fight comes up, is there an argument about whether it's too early to... We did. Yeah, we did so argue about, about that. It. Yeah, the, 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 we did argue about it. And uh, I ended up agreeing. It was actually Sean Shelby that was pushing for it. And I, I actually ended up agreeing with Sean. And, uh, you know, O'Malley is on the cusp of being a massive global superstar. And, you know, there was some talk earlier about Connor. You know, he said, I, I'd like to be as big as Connor and, and stuff like that. Well, if, if you want to compare it to Connor, this is the, this is like the, uh, you know, the Connor Jose Aldo fight. And when you have that type of star power and you have that thing that people are attracted to, then it's about winning key fights like this. So for O'Malley, he wins this fight on Saturday night. His entire life changes on Sunday. And on the flip side of that, if he does lose, he's 27, still has time to, you know, make up for it down down the line. Is that kind of what the thinking was as well? Yeah, 100%. Well, that's the thing. He's 27. He's in his prime right now. I mean, he's got, he's got a ton of fights. Um, you know, O'Malley's 15-1. and one. The guy's got 16 fights. It's not like he doesn't have the experience. Uh, got knockout power. He's got the range. He's got speed. Got all that stuff, so he's got the tools to win this fight. It feels like he's actually become under uh, underrated and underappreciated because of how popular he is. These people look at whatever the level of competition, but he has so many different weapons and is such a diverse fighter. And for a guy like Piotr Jan, who likes to download information about his opponent as the fight goes on, he might be a difficult one to peg. Yeah, that that that, that always happens uh, when somebody comes out and has, you know, a, a lot of. Uh, stardom quick i guess you know people people try to shit on him and 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 whatever that that's part of that's part of the deal but uh yeah listen peter yan is an absolute savage i mean the guy is 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 a machine and and o'malley's got his work cut out for him but i do believe that that o'malley is uh it's the right time for this fight people still today say that conor mcgregor's overrated like people don't remember that he took a fight with Chad Mendez on like six days notice, a completely different, different stylistic matchup, and like and knocked him. I don't know. It, it it boggles my mind. I mean, I know that you know Conor McGregor hasn't had the best stretch lately, but I think people forget how good he was during that featherweight run. But you know what the difference is? The difference is all the people on the outside didn't see the things that I saw. You know, um, you know, everybody's like, oh yeah, because he loves Conor. Why do I love Conor? Why? Because he makes money. Everybody makes money. I, I like Connor because I was in the trenches with Connor when this stuff was going on. And that guy'd walk into his house that he rented in Vegas, tell him the fight was switched. Believe me, there's a lot of guys who talk like, you know, oh, I would have fought this guy, I would have done that. When I'm on the phone saying, here we go, we, we, we got four days and, and we're changing opponents, the story's changed, believe me, behind the scenes. Connor McGregor, I was there every single time, never flinched, never hesitated to take any fight believed in himself and fought these fights when people thought he wasn't ready, you know, and the kid made a ton of money. And, uh, you know, when you say Connor hasn't had a good run later, well, that's what, that's what happens when you're his age and you make over a hundred million dollars, you know, it just money changes everything. I've been fascinated with the story that, uh, 
came about this year with you where a biologist told you you had 10.4 years to live. And, uh, you know, people are going to look at you right now and they notice that I'm sure you've lost quite a bit of weight and changed the way that you li you've lived your life as a result of this. If you could give people one word of advice about how to maybe turn their health situation around if they're going through a couple of things, what's like the number one thing you've learned from this whole endeavor that you've had in terms of ch turning your health situation around? Yeah, so I was always looking at holistic medicine like it was uh, hippie stuff and, you know, not my thing. Plus, I like to eat food. I like to drink. I like to, you know, I like to have fun. And this guy uh, did my blood work and my DNA test and literally sat down and told me everything that was wrong with me, even things that I didn't tell other people. And he, he knew nothing about my, my medical history, which was the first thing that blew me away. He said, if you listen to me, for the next 10 weeks and do what I tell you to do, I'll change your life. And what's 10 weeks? 10 weeks is nothing. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot and I'll invest the 10 weeks. I don't snore anymore. I don't have sleep apnea anymore. I, I, I don't wake up choking in the middle of the night. I sleep, you know, seven, eight, 10 hours, depending on, on where I am and what's going on. Um, I uh, my, my legs were really messed up. My legs are 100% again. I mean, the best way that I can explain it is I, as I feel 35 years old again. This guy, Gary, his name's Gary Brecka, 10X Health Systems is, is his company. And the guy, and, and I'm not the only one. All these other people that I've talked to who, who, who have used him have had the same results. So what's like the one biggest thing? What's your one biggest takeaway from it? Like if you could just give advice, one word of advice to people that maybe can't afford to use 10X, what would, what would you tell them? They can afford to use 10X. You can go online and uh, and you can do the same uh, DNA test and blood work that I did. And they hit you back and tell you what you need to do. You know, you don't see the guy every day like or every week like I do. But you, you can get the same thing done that I got done. All you got to do is do it online. Um, what I would say to everybody is do it. Do the blood work. This, this guy is legit. He's for real. I have no interest in this. Why? What, what do I care? You know, and if you don't believe me and you don't whatever, just stick with your traditional doctor then. Do, do whatever makes you comfortable. But I, my, my uh, experience with doctors is they don't fix anything unless you get a broken arm. Like you go in and they fix your arm or something. But all this other shit like high blood pressure, cholesterol, sleep apnea. Go in, go in and tell your, 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 your doctor you can't sleep at night and you got sleep apnea and you're waking up choking in the middle of the night. I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll do a sleep study and then they'll give you a CPAP machine that doesn't work. That's what they'll do. You know what this guy did? This guy stopped me from snoring. I don't snore anymore and I don't have sleep apnea anymore. Fact. Well, I might have to jump on the economy package then. Uh, one, other, one other thing that I've seen lately is a lot of different innovations in MMA and UFC Fight Pass announced that they are doing some cards. In fact, there was one this past weekend using virtual reality technology on the, the Meta Oculus Quest 2. Now, I'm sure you see a lot of stuff behind the scenes in terms of the innovations in technology that we're going to see in the coming years. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in the viewer experience in, say, like three years from now? People who watch combat sports, what do you think is going to be something that we see in the future that isn't really on our radar right now? Yeah, there, there's a lot of cool stuff that we're working on. You know, one, one, one of the mottos here at UFC has always been be first, be first. We're, we're, you know, the, the buck stops here. I make all the decisions. If I want to do it, then we do it. Um, you know, and, and we're obviously looking at 
you know, when 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 uh, 3D came out, we started doing 3D. Th- then, um, you know, HD and all these other things that that, that came out in the past. We, we jumped all over and different camera angles and all this stuff. Now, with virtual reality and and uh, you know the metaverse, we've been talking about. You know, doing a fight in the metaverse as soon as we we, we we found out about it and learned about the metaverse. I think the next big thing is going to be there, there. There's a company out of uh, out of Utah. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now off the top of my head. You remember it that I went and looked at when we were just in Salt Lake City? Ask Ask Craig. Yeah, Ask oh, Craig. Yes. Um, and. Uh, Basically, let's say I'm having this fight in Abu Dhabi. These guys are building a, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a theater or a stadium or an arena, whatever you want to call it, where you would go in and watch the fight. And it's like, it's almost like the old IMAX, but a million times better. You actually feel like you're at the fight and you can look around the room and, and it, it's, I, I did it in Utah and it's amazing. And, and that's what's next. So you can actually go watch this. They have, they'll have luxurious seats. You can order food. You can have dinner there. You can do drinks, bottle service, all that type of stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I use... It's called, it's called Cosm. Cosm, okay. Cosm. It's a company out of Utah. And uh, that's, that's definitely what's next. I watched one event in VR. It was like Holloway versus Aldo in Rio many years ago. They did like a test pilot. I think you guys did one with like a Samsung headgear. And even that was cool. You could look around. You could see what Bruce Buffer was doing cage side during the fight. It was, it was a pretty cool experience. Cosm just came and filmed one of our fights. When they get it together, I'll, I'll do a media day for you guys. And I'll let, you know, so, some of you guys from the media come and watch this thing. It will blow you away. I always love these new uh, innovations in terms of how it's going to grow the sport and grow sports as a whole. So I'm looking forward to that. A couple quick updates I need from you. UFC is coming to Australia in February. I'm sure you know what my next question is. Any update on Canada? All of the restrictions have been lifted and we're uh, hungry here for the UFC to return. Yeah, so as I look at the schedule coming up, we got Abu Dhabi this weekend. Uh, Then we're Madison Square Garden, Vegas, Vegas. Um, We're going to uh, Rio de Janeiro. We're going to South Korea. We're going to Perth, Australia. And, you know, that's just by February. By February, we'll have hit all those places. So, yeah, we're, we're working on uh, our next trip to Canada next year. And any update on the UFC going to the UK for uh, Usman versus Edwards, the rematch? That's going to happen. Secured? Yeah, that's going to happen, too. And you're looking at the first half of the year sort of thing? I don't know the date yet. And last question. Uh, last week it was announced that Yuri Prokashka and Glover Teixeira are having the rematch in December, but it wasn't mentioned where on the card that's going to be. Is there an update on John Jones potentially headlining that event? Is that, is that in the works right now, or is that likely going to end up being the main event uh, of Yuri and Glover too? Yeah, no. We, 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 haven't, we haven't said anything about John Jones and Steve Bay. Yeah, but the, like I said, there was no card placement for Yuri versus uh, Glover, so it, it piqued the curiosity as to maybe there's a main event that's being worked on. Yeah, you guys think you know shit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Got my detective hat on as always. I love it. <laughs> All right, Dana, always appreciate your time, and uh, looking forward to UFC 280. If you're not familiar with this card, you should get familiar. It's the biggest card of the year, talent-wise, in my opinion, and I uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks, I agree. I'm very excited for this fight. 
He is the pound-for-pound pound number one fighter on the planet, Alexander Volkanovsky. Do you blush when you hear that? Do you like to hear the, uh, the sound of that? Oh, man, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. It is good, you know, obviously it's an honor. I appreciate it, but it doesn't make me feel any different. You know, as I've said, a lot of people are like, oh, how does it feel? I was like, oh, you know, sounds good to hear, but I mean, as soon as I finish hearing it, I completely forget about it. But uh, so, yeah, it hasn't gone to my head yet. <laughs> so when Kamaru Usman loses... Do you have any thoughts about it? Are you like, okay, I'm going to be a pound-for-pound pound number one guy next week? Or is it just like, you know, you feel bad that the guy suffered a loss? Yeah, man, I don't, you know, I don't wish people, uh, you know, I don't wish people to lose and like, you know, to, things bad to happen to people so I can, you know, get good things out of it. That's not how I roll. Obviously, um, it was hard for me not to think of that when literally as soon as it happened, everyone goes, oh, at least you're pound-for-pound. Pound. You know what I mean? A lot of people will obviously talk to me about that, but, you know, it's very, you know, I feel, I feel for the guy, you know, uh, Usman, to, to go out like that. But, I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of people would say that, you know, I was deserving anyway and all that type of stuff. So, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't look too much into it. You know, it doesn't make me a, a less driven guy. You know, it doesn't make me better than I was before that. You know what I mean? I'm still going to bust my ass and do what I need to do to prepare, you know, just because I'm pound for pound doesn't mean I can half-ass a camp and expect uh, to win just because of uh, that status, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking if somebody asked you the day before that fight, who do you think is the best pound for pound fighter in the sport? You'd probably say it's Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know what I mean? I might think it in the back of my head, you know, I think oh, I could, could be there, but I mean, I don't look too much into that stuff anyway. But I mean, like I, I, I think you got your Israel Adesanya's myself even before that fight and Usman. You know, I thought you know, three guys uh, at the top doing their thing, man, and like uh, that's how I look at it. Right now, I've got the visions to look at. The pound for pound thing is really cool. It's a, definitely a mad status to have. Um, you know, I think a lot of people really look at that as, a, you know, a big deal, which is really cool. But I mean. My main focus is like this lightweight title, you know what I mean? My next challenges and all that type of stuff. That's, that's my, real, my real goal, and that's really what I'm focusing on. And let's face it, I mean, if you want some proof that pound for pound doesn't go into your head, you're going to be a backup fighter in Abu Dhabi, despite being considered the pound for pound greatest. I mean, you're not seeing Canelo go to Bivol's fight and weigh in. Yeah, well, man, that's, again, like it's, that's just how I am, right? Like, uh, do, do, will many people in my position do what I'm doing? No. But, I mean, that's why they're not me. And, you know, that's why I'm, uh, I'm where I'm at. And, uh, you know, if I didn't have this mindset, that's that what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't be where I am. You know, you've got a lot of guys that are, you know, probably more athletic than me. You probably, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they've, they've probably got more talent when it comes to certain things and stuff like that. But, um, you know, for me, it was a mindset, mindset, and you know, I was driven to, to, to be better, learn more, get the knowledge. You know, all the one percenters, all that type of stuff has really made me the fighter I am. And if I didn't have this mindset, there's no way I'd be where I'm at. So, um, you know, that's why I, I believe I'm uh, destined for, for great things because I'm, I'm ready to put myself in the positions to be great. I mean, it's not a matter of being destined for great things. You've already achieved the great things, but you just turned 34 years old. Is, is there somewhere in your mind that says now is the time, right? Because at some point in time, we know that there is a shelf life for all fighters in this sport. That, that, that comes into play too, right? A lot of people are like, why are you doing this? It's like, look, because that's just the guy I am. What do you want me to do? Just sit and wait. And, you know, if someone else is a backup or imagine if someone does miss weight or gets injured and then say uh, Benil or, or say Gemrod or whatever steps in, then the person who originally got injured has got to fight. That, that puts me down the list. A lot. I don't want that. You know what I mean? So there's that factor. Then there's, mate, 
I'm 34 years old. I'm at my peak. You know, I want to capitalize on this, you know, this this uh, part of uh, my career where I am just on fire. You know what I mean? And like my confidence is on another level. I'm firing. I'm, you know what I mean? The, you know, I'm still I'm still in my peak. You know, when it comes to, uh, you know physical and mentally sort of attributes, whatever you want to say, like, you know, I'm there. So why, why waste it? Why waste this time? You know, I want to capitalize on this uh, time that I have uh, at my peak. So that's why I'm putting myself in these positions. Um, just, yeah, again, that's just, just who I am and what I'm all about. And that's what's made me the guy I am. So I'm glad I'm still, I still have that drive. I'm glad that I am pound for pound. I'm a champion. Uh, and I have all these things that people are like, oh, you shouldn't be doing. I'm glad that I'm still doing the things that I was doing when I was a challenger. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still so eager to, to put challenges in front of me. And, you know what I mean? It was a challenge to even get myself ready for this. You know, while I was in a cask, I was training. Try telling yourself, you know, try and keep fit. Like, when you're in a cask, like, am I definitely fighting? Am I even going to be the backup? Just in case, I'm going to bust my ass anyway. You know, that's just – try and find me a, a, a pound-for-pound fighter that will do something like that or, or, a, or a champion that's going to do that. Like, I don't know if there is many, but, again, that's just how I am and how I've always been in it. I'm glad I still have that mentality and that mindset. Well, you say to find somebody, and from time to time, you know, every five or so years, you see somebody who kind of laps their division, who seems like they're just really a step ahead of everybody else, whether it's John Jones, uh, Anderson Silva for a time, George St. Pierre, and none of them really sees that opportunity to achieve that kind of two-division greatness. John Jones is doing it now, but I would argue it's way late compared to when he was at that stage where he was way better than everybody else at light heavyweight. Yeah, we're like, yeah, you're right. You're not seeing, uh, you know, you don't see that uh, as much. You do see people doing it, but yeah, you're seeing a lot of people that have done it right, that haven't done that much in their original divisions. And I'm not having shots at them. Like, obviously, if you can get that opportunity, man, take it. Uh, but, you know, again, I've I've defended, I've had five title fights, you know what I mean? And now, you know, I'm on the pound for pound and all that, you know, I'm waiting until now to, to put myself in this position. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, the, it's not like there's a number one guy in my division that's sitting there waiting. You know, there's no clear guy. So, you know, I'm the, again, I want to keep my both both of my divisions uh, busy. I want to stay active. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm doing I'm doing the work. I'm doing it. I'm doing it how it should be done. I believe. You don't strike me as the kind of guy that has like a trophy case in his house or that you know keeps belts around everywhere and has kind of a shrine to Alexander Volkanovsky. But I feel like. In this situation, I'm curious about whether legacy is that important to you or if it's just about seeing what you're capable of at this stage in your career. Like, is this about legacy for you or is it about personal achievement right now where you feel like you're at your absolute best just to see where, you know, just how high you can get in terms of uh, personal achievement? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of everything. It's a bit of everything, but, uh, you know, like definitely the legacy. I do want to leave a legacy behind. And, um, but, I mean, the main thing is... Uh, I just want to be successful in anything I do, right? I want to be successful so I can uh, provide for my family and, you know, leaving a legacy behind and doing all these things. And again, fight being active and making the real serious money while you can. You know what I mean? Like, let's be real. The the most money you're making is while you're fighting. So why wait around and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, lose money, you know, and like lose chances of leaving a massive legacy behind as well? Am I taking risks? Yeah, but I mean, that's how you, you that's how you, you leave such a legacy behind by doing things like that. You know, a wise man once said, dare to be great. And Israel Adesanya said that. And uh, it's so true. And you know what I mean? And it's, 
that's just just how it is. You know, I, I do want a legacy. I do want to achieve all these things because I want to be successful. And leaving a legacy behind is something that I can I can look after my family forever uh, with a legacy. If I leave a good enough legacy behind, you know what I mean. That name itself, the Volkanovski name brand, because of my legacy, uh, can really be something that I can uh, me and my family can sort of uh, live off and and do well off, you know what I mean? I want to be successful and that's that, you know what I mean? So again, it's, there's, I'm driven, I want to be successful, I love a challenge, um, you know, doing it for my family, my country, you know, there's so many things that come into play but when it all comes down to it, it's like, this is a career path I chose and I need to be successful so, you know, I want to look after my family forever and this is, this is how I, I want to do it. Speaking of your country, the UFC is returning to it in February, Perth, Australia for the uh, UFC pay-per-view what do you think is going to happen in terms of you on that date? I mean, if Charles Oliveira wins, they're also going to to uh, Brazil in January. So there's a lot of, I guess, balls in the air right now. But do you expect to be on that card? Yeah, I definitely expect to be on that card. So it's just, it is a tricky one. We need to see what's happening. Um, Charles wins and definitely wants to fight on Brazilian card. Um, if he can fight, obviously, it's a quick turnaround. Uh, February February is, I guess, uh, realistic as well. They both can be done because um, he wants to be active. That's one good thing about Charles. He does want to be active, and that's why uh, I can really respect that. Um, but, yeah, I do definitely see myself fighting. But I mean, it just depends, man. I'll know by, I'll know next weekend what's happening. I think it'll be pretty clear, you know what I mean? So, uh, But, yeah, I definitely want to defend my belt or fight for a title fight in Australia if I can. So we'll see what happens. All right, putting the backup spot aside for now, if somebody gave you a phone call right now, Alex, I'm, somebody's giving me $10,000. I have to put it on either Islam Makhachev or Charles Oliveira or the money just disappears. So I have to put it on one or the other. What's your recommendation to them? Um, I'll probably give it to Islam. And here's another question for you about the matchup itself. I feel like Charles Oliveira is the worst matchup for Islam that is in the lightweight division, but also that... Islam is kind of the worst matchup for Charles. Like, they're kind of the worst matchup for each other of anybody in the division stylistically. So how do you think Islam does prevail in those situations? Do you think it's because he will not be afraid to go to the ground with Charles Oliveira like it's appeared Justin Gaethje was in that last fight? Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that, that, that's ex- exactly uh, how, how it is, I think. I think it's, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Charles striking is going to be a lot better purely because I don't think he's going to be that worried about... Um, the wrestling, you know, I don't think he's going to freeze on his feet because he's so worried about the takedown. I think he's a t- he's going to be able to let his hands go um, if um, Islam tries to approach the wrestling, jump on the submissions, be happy to go on his back, and sort of dictate where it's going to be on the ground. Islam, on the other hand, wants to grab a hold of a leg, grab a hold of a body lock, or grab a hold of him and, and control him and put him down in a position where he's comfortable. So if, if 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 Charles was to pull guard like he did with uh, Gaethje, when he, if he's hurt or something like, as he's going down, just fall to the ground and be ready, you know, to catch him or you know, come down, come in my guard. I, I don't think Islam will go there. Believe it or not, I don't think Islam will go there. I think Islam wants to grab a hold of him first, bring him down, control his hips, control everything, and not give. Charles a chance to, to, to use his hips and throw crazy submissions and all that. I think he wants to be in control from the first, you know, uh, clinch, you know, from the first uh, tie-up and work his way up, clinch, grab, pull him down, you know, control him and then have his way with him. He'll be happy to be on the ground 
as long as he's dictating uh, where it goes and how he gets him down. Other, other than that, I, I feel like that's what I mean. I feel like it's a fun fight. It's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I still think Charles is going to be dangerous because he's not scared of the wrestling because he will invite it if it's already there. So in other words, you think that Islam's going to avoid the guard. He's going to try to take him down into side control and into advantageous positions um, and really mind his P's and Q's yeah. in terms of where he puts him on the ground. Yeah, get him half guard, you know, uh, tie his legs up, control his hips, take his hips completely out. Uh, you know, get them Dagestani hand grips, little things like climb him, trap him under him, not give him much room, tire him out, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, he doesn't want to just sit in his guard and go ground and pound. Um, I'll do that. <laughs> I don't mind doing that. But, I mean, uh, yeah, that that's not his love style. I don't think he would want to approach it that way um, because, again, he wants to be in control of of that whole sequence. From the first grip all the way down, he wants to be in control and just, you know, manipulate every sort of position on the way there. Well, the downside of having to be a backup is you have to train for two fighters, but the upside is neither of them will probably train for you. So if you do end up uh, fighting one of them, I think it's a good situation for you. And uh, I, of course, respect uh, all of your accomplishments in the sport and look forward to seeing whatever's next for you, whether it's Islam, Charles on... uh, at UFC 280 or sometime in the near, uh, not so distant future. I uh, always appreciate your time and look forward to uh, speaking with you again as soon as I can. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Pleasure. He's nearly seven years unbeaten at Bantamweight. He is TJ Dillashaw. And while he did not lose the title in the cage, he's looking to become a three time champion this weekend against Aljamain Sterling. You're not super impressed with Aljamain Sterling in terms of the level of excitement he brings to a fight. We've seen over the years the level of excitement you've brought to fights. Do you think that when we walk away from the co-main event on Saturday, we're going to say, man, that was an exciting fight? I hope so. I hope it's going to be saying that was a great finish. That was a dominant performance. Um, that's the plan. Well, you had been uh, on a two-fight finish streak before the, uh, the loss to Cejudo um, against Cody Garbent, your former training partner. But Aljamain Sterling, I mean, I mean, aside from kind of that really well-timed knockout from Marlon Rice, it seems like he's been incredibly durable during his UFC stints. Yeah, he's been uh, able to get the fight into his positions, right? If you're on top of someone or on their back, I mean, it's hard for them to finish you, you know? So, um, yeah, he's, he's done a good job of keeping distance and running. He's athletic, he's fast. Also, does a good job of keeping the fight away from any kind of engagement on the feet, right? So uh, in doing so, he's been able to prevent those. From what I've seen from you, your striking seems to be a lot more crisp than his is. Uh, It's been something that you've really been able to do um, in the bantamweight division where we haven't seen a lot of really technical strikers until kind of recently. It feels like a lot of people have kind of taken your blueprint and applied it to MMA. You look at like the success of Piotr Jan. Um, do, Do you feel like you were kind of the first real hybrid mixed martial artist in uh, in the bantamweight division that was really great at everything. Oh, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't want to take any any power from anyone else, but I feel like I was pretty good at the time for being with a wrestling background to pick up striking the way that I did. Right, it helps a lot when you have a wrestling background to get comfortable striking because you're not worried about getting taken down, and if you do get taken down, you're going to get back to your feet. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, I guess, helped evolve the sport, right? I mean, everyone does. Everyone that's involved in it at the time, it's got to continue to grow. Do you feel like you get your due? I mean, I don't think it really matters to you what the uh, mixed martial arts fans say, but 
if you look at the resume and you look at what you've done in this division, I think it's fair to say that TJ Dillashaw is the best bantamweight of all time, but it seems like everybody, you know, kind of defaults to Dominic Cruz when this question is asked. Yeah, I mean, but you, who holds more records? Let's go and look at, like, who actually does more in the in the sport and who actually has got more wins, who's got more knockouts, which I haven't even been that active. And, and, and Cruz wasn't active either, too. He was unfortunately dealing with injuries as well, too. So, um, you know, I'd like to be a little more active now that once I get this belt back and submit some more, uh, submit my records a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I believe that I'm the greatest band of weight so far. And um, this getting this win will continue to submit that legacy of, of that. I feel like if it was up to you, you would have been a lot more active to begin with. You, you suffered a bad injury in the uh, Sandhagen fight. How disheartening was that for you? I mean, you were just on the shelf for two years prior to that. Uh, you're hungry, you're ready to get back into it, and then, you know, obviously injuries happen in MMA, but I imagine the timing certainly wasn't ideal. No, it was a total bummer, man, you know, because you're biting at the bit to get back at it, get your belt back. I beat Sandhagen, and then Sandhagen gets the fight for the belt because I blew my knee out, right? And I didn't realize how bad it was because I remember being on the mic after the fight telling DC I didn't want to wait too long. I didn't want to wait for these guys to figure out this belt. I didn't know if Sterling was going to come back because of his neck thinking I was going to get back in there and get stuff done at the beginning of the, the next year. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't know I was going to be out for a year and a half uh, healing up from a knee surgery. What was harder, rehabbing? I, mean, I, knew, I knew I was going to have to get surgery. I just didn't realize I was going to have to get two of them and how long I'd be out for. You know, I didn't realize how bad I messed my knee up. Was it harder to rehab the knee or the shoulder? I think you got both shoulders done, right? Like, what, what was harder? Um... They both they both hold their own weight, right? Knee sucks because you have to walk on it every single day, right? And so being on crutches for six weeks ain't fun, and then not being able to jump and run and do all that kind of stuff it's it's something you you take for granted. Um, your shoulder just takes a lot more work because I remember like a shorts a shoulder's more like an all motion joint. It's got to be able to go all directions. It's a lot smarter of a joint when your knee just has to do this, you know. Um, but the knee just affects you more in daily life. Is this a redemption story? If you come back and win the title, do you think people will look at it that way? Or do you think that people are always going to hold um, the situation, of course, with performance-enhancing drugs against you? And again, I, I personally believe you're one of the very few in the sport, if anybody, that's really been culpable for what you've done, that's come out and said, listen, I did this, I messed up. It seems like everybody else has caught leans on something else. And I, I feel like you don't get enough credit for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll always catch always catch flack for it, right? Um, maybe in hindsight, looking back on it, I should have made some bullshit excuse like everyone else. Um, but uh, I feel like it was the easiest way for myself personally to get past what I did. You know, it was like almost my own little therapy session to just kind of come clean with it, talk about it, get it out there. Um, but it'll be something to get hashed on forever, and that's. The mistake I made, man. I'd say I got to do my dues, unfortunately. I mean, but listen, if people in MMA, MMA fans are critical of just about everything. So, I mean, it's for you to get yeah. criticized, it's certainly not outside the norm. But when you look at yourself in the mirror and you, your son is growing up and you talk to him about being able to make a mistake and then bounce back, do things the right way and win a championship, win your championship back. That's a great story in terms of how, how you live your life going forward. I, th I feel like you'd be a lot happier sleeping at night with that than had you made up some sort of excuse and then not been honest about it, you know, with your family as well. A hundred percent, man. I mean, you kind of nailed it. I mean, I'm not going to let a mistake define who I am. 
I think that's the story that's going to come from this, right? My mental toughness, willing to push through anything, you know, blow my knee out in a fight and, and beat a tough opponent, um, push through uh, all the, the mental turmoil that I've gone through and just uh, not let a mistake define who I am, keep my nose down, work my ass off, and uh, get what's mine. I hope people do give you credit, though. I mean, like, listen, it's a story of resilience. You coming back from this injury, uh, I think people are kind of ignoring even that you, you came back from such a, a really, at this stage in your career, at this age, to come back from this injury isn't easy, and you're doing it fairly quickly, all things considered. I mean, I've seen, since I blew my knee out, I've seen a couple guys knee out in a fight and just quit. You know, like, um, I understand. It was very painful, and it sucks, right? And, like... You've seen people blow their knee out. I forget who it was, but a um, fighter stepped back and blew his knee out and fell to the ground and grabbed his knee, and that was it. That's all she wrote, right? And I completely obliterated my knee in the first round and fought a number one contender to get to this fight on one leg and was able to get that win, you know? So uh, people want to give me credit for it, awesome, but I'll, give them, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one because that's still to this day, I think, the hardest feat I had to do um, because of the fact, like, Man, just sitting down at the end of that first round, telling my coach, like, man, I fucked my knee up. And Dwayne's just like, hey, forget about it. we got to go. And me just having to bite down the mouthpiece and go and come out that second round and my knee pop out again multiple times, um, have a bad round, and then just say, like, you know what? I was out for two years. There's no way I'm letting this comeback be this way. You know, there's no way I'm letting this happen and just uh, willed it into existence. When did the adrenaline wear off and you realized, yeah, this is going to be pretty bad? I think the next morning, I was going to be obviously walking out of the cage and having to go to all my like the media stuff and whatnot, but then I was pumped to go to my after party, see my family, see my friends, and celebrate with them, and then I had quite a few drinks that masked at the painful, but when I got up the next morning uh, at the hotel they, keep, they had us at for the Apex Center there, I couldn't put my foot on the ground. I even an ounce of pressure onto the ground. I didn't ask for credit. And then I had to pack my truck up because I drove to Vegas from Southern California. And my eyes swelled right, completely swelled shut. It was a nasty cut. Um, I probably shouldn't have been driving, but I'm driving home with one eye in my excruciating pain, you know. Um, no painkillers, obviously. I hadn't had surgery or nothing. I wasn't taking nothing. I don't, not one for painkillers anyways, but um, that, was, that was a rough morning. Well, you're a tougher person than most. I mean, anybody in the UFC, you can say that about. But I mean, I can say you're probably a tougher, <laughs> tougher than most fighters in the UFC, which is an extra badge of honor. Uh, well, really appreciate your time, TJ. Uh, best of luck against Aljamain Sterling this Saturday. It's the co-main event of UFC 280. You could become a three-time champion. I'm not sure how many fighters have done that in UFC history. You continue to add to your One. record. Okay, who? Let me know. Uh, I think it was Couture. Couture. Okay, well, now I can use that in future interviews. Only one person. I believe, I believe so. You might need to fact check me, but that's what I remember someone telling me. So I didn't look this record up, but someone else told me it. So. Well, it'll be a pretty impressive feat, especially in this era of uh, the UFC. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck on Saturday. Appreciate it. I feel confident in saying that this is the best featured preliminary bout of the year, and it's on TSN. Bilal <laughs> Muhammad taking on Sean Brady. Uh, you love to see it. I mean, this is an awesome fight. Really looking forward to it. Do you feel like three rounds is more of an advantage for you or for him? Because I feel like your cardio over five rounds probably would have been a, an advantage for you. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that I don't think it's an advantage for him. I just think that I would have had way more of an advantage in a five-round fight 
I always love five round fights. I think I'm a main event fighter, so definitely was pushing for it. But hey, three rounds. I plan on trying to finish him anyway. So hopefully we get out of there in one round. There's not going to be a time adjustment for you because you've been in the United Arab Emirates for some time. You were in Dubai doing your camp with, uh, as Islam Makhachev calls him, crazy coach Habib. How did that <laughs> camp go for you? Uh, honestly, it was amazing. The, those guys, the team, the brotherhood, it was another level. It was like eye-opening and it was also just like a blessing to see and train with those guys and learn from those guys. And to me, it was like, I'm training with the the best fighter to ever do it, being coached by him, while training with the who I think is the the best lightweight in the world right now, and Islam Makhachev. And I saw that Lewis came down with you for the, the camp, which I think is just incredible. I mean, the brotherhood the, the two of you have is just, you don't see it that often in sports to see such a special relationship like that. Yeah, that was like, that was one of the keys of me coming down here. Because at first, you know, my manager Ali was telling me, like, go down there, uh, train with them, trust me, it'll be good for you. And I was hesitant at first because i'm like i'm comfortable here i have a good team here and you know to be in a different country by yourself uh training with a team that you know i'm not very comfortable with, wasn't very comfortable with them at that time and a lot of them really don't speak english so i'm like i'm gonna be down here five weeks what am i gonna be doing and then he just told me that he was down to come and that just pushed me over the edge he was like i'm here for you i'm with you so to have somebody like that in my corner uh, a brother with me that's willing to, you know, leave his family behind and be with me, miss a family vacation with his wife and kids. It was amazing. And it just shows me that I had the right people with me, the right people that believe in me. And, you know, he's accomplished everything that he needs to accomplish in this sport. And he just wants to see me accomplish my goals. And that's what I love about him. And in my opinion, the main event of UFC 280, the winner of that fight, will be represented by the coach of the year. I think if Charles wins, you have to give the due to Diego Lima. He's done such a great job with Charles and with a lot of his other students. But if Islam wins, I mean, I think you've got to call Habib the coach of the year. Now, you might have the potential coach of the year in your corner, uh, from what I understand. So tell me about how that came about. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, it was cool being able to be training with him, learning from him, seeing how he coaches, seeing how he speaks in between corners because when we're sparring, they're cornering you. It's like a fight. There's not like just everybody sparring, doing their own thing. Like if you have a, Every fighter had their specific rounds that they had to get in. All the guys with fights, you know, you're you're in the big cage by yourself. Khabib's cornering one corner. Javier Mendez is in one corner. Lose one corner. So I'm hearing how he's cornering in between rounds. I'm seeing uh, how he looks in between rounds and like the vision he has, the little things, the little uh, tips he gives me in between rounds. I was like, bro, I I gotta have you in my corner. And he's like, I'll be there for you. I'm here for you. I'm down with it. And you know. My manager Ali was telling me, like, bro, like he just doesn't do that for everybody. So you must have showed him that you're a hard worker, and to to have him be in your corner, he must really believe in you. So uh, it's cool, it's an honor, and I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely, and it seems like it's been a really incredible experience for you. But I'm curious, you wake up in the morning knowing knowing what's ahead of you that day in Dubai. What's that like? Like, what's what's your feeling when you're on the way to the gym, knowing what you're gonna have to go through for the next couple hours? Uh, it, it was kind of like the, it felt like the ultimate fighter, honestly, because, you know, we're all driving in the same buses. Like we had vans, all of the, the team, we're like 30 people there. Uh, we're all coming back. We're all eating together. We're all uh, chilling together in the hotel, anywhere we get. Like if Khabib had uh, uh, meet and greets or something like that, we would all go with him. 
So it was cool to experience that whole thing. But when you're training with these guys, like it's crazy how good they are. There's some guys in there that people don't even know their names yet, but they're monsters and they could, they would be ranked right away. If they got into the UFC, I feel like, and they would beat a lot of ranked fighters. So to have every killer on that team and you're like, usually you'll have sometimes in your, in your gym, you'll know who's the easy round. And you're like, uh, if you're feeling tired, you're feeling sore, you would go with that person or you would, uh, take a round off or take a day off. But with them, you, you can't do that with them. Every single person in there is a, a monster. Every single person in there is a hard round and it just pushes you, uh, to get better. It pushes you to want to get better. If I got taken down yesterday, Today I'm like, all right, I want to go with the same person to see if I could, if I learn from it, if I got better from it. And that was the beautiful thing about it is because there's no egos in this gym. Nobody was trying to hurt me. Nobody was trying to embarrass me. Uh, they, if they took me down with something, they'll show me how they got me with something. If they hit me with something, they'll show me where my opening was. And we all just like learned off each other, piggybacked off each other. And that was the beautiful thing about it. But the hard thing about it, like Islam McIntyre was saying earlier today, like Khabib pushes you. He pushes you to the limit. He wants to. He doesn't want to see you break. He just wants the the greatness to come out of you. Like if uh, I compare it to Michael Jordan, when when you hear his teammates talk about him in the Last Dance, where they're like, "Oh, he's crazy. He's this. He's that." And I think that's what Habib wants. He wants the. He's already achieved greatness, and he knows that we all can achieve greatness as well. So he just tries to pull it out of us. And you, the only way to pull it out of yourself is to be uncomfortable. And the only way to get uncomfortable is to push yourself to your breaking point and keep going. Your UFC takedown percentage is 91%. What was it in this camp? <laughs> in this camp, it was probably like uh, 21%. <laughs> Especially, when, you know, because it's like, we'll spar, and then we're going straight to grappling, and then Habib will be like, get in the cage with me. And I'm like, huh? What's, I, I can't see right now. And, you know, Lou's looking at me like, hey, yo, get, get up, get up. So you wanna, you're going hard every single day, every single round. And like I said, they're the wrestling. Dagestani wrestling is a different type of wrestling, so it it only leveled me up, and it just made me that much of a better fighter, a better person. And I, like, like I said, this whole camp was a blessing, and I can't wait to show everything I've learned, everything I've gone through Saturday night. I saw the anatomy of the fighter. Will Harris came down and uh, documented the camp. You guys played a lot of, I guess, what what they call football overseas, but soccer. I didn't see any Bilal Muhammad highlights in there. Right? Did you not have a very good game? <laughs> uh, the, I, I, I didn't not know how serious they took soccer. Like, they asked me and Lou, do you guys play football? And we're like, oh, we play football. They're like, no, 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 real football. And I was like, oh, soccer. Uh, I mean, we know how to run and kick. So the first game we're playing, and I'm on, like, Habib's team, Lou's on the other team, and they're so competitive. They're like, Habib doesn't want to – he doesn't want to lose in. Soccer, he doesn't want to lose in basketball. He doesn't want to lose a ping pong. He doesn't want to lose a paper scissors rock. He's he's the most competitive person I've ever seen. So that first half, we were down like five to one, and I mean, he's yelling at me, "Do something! What are you doing?" And I'm like, I'm missing the ball. I'm like, people are getting past me. I like, I do not know how to play soccer. And like, is he, I thought he was gonna hit me. He was like so mad at me. And I was like, the second half, he's like yelling at our team, gives us a speech, and. He comes out hard the second half. He he scores like six goals by himself. And we end up coming back and winning. And it was like, it was nuts. We got the win. But I'm like, I'm never playing soccer with him again. Because first of all, I don't want to embarrass myself. And second of all, like, I don't want to disappoint Habib in soccer. 
So like they literally play like once a week over there, and it start every game started getting more serious. They would bring in people, uh, soccer soccer people that are locals there in uh, Dubai. They'd be like, "Are you good? All right, you're coming to play with us." They would get real refs. Like they took it very serious. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'm sure that UFC fighters don't get scared very often, but I imagine Habib getting in your face about not being good at soccer is probably at least in MMA. You know, you could pick it up a little bit, but in terms <laughs> of a sport, you're not you know you don't not accustomed to. It's probably a little bit difficult. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know. Let's go back to Dagestani basketball. I like Dagestani basketball way better than the soccer. I was like, I had no knowledge or uh, any idea what to do with soccer. I feel like a guy who grew up in the Jordan era in Chicago is probably a little bit more well-versed in basketball. <laughs> I mean, even though it's Dagestani basketball, I think you could probably hold your own there. Yeah, I was like, the first time I played with them, I went for like a layup. And all of a sudden, I get smashed down. And I was like, oh, okay, we're playing prison rules. And then, you know, it took me a couple games to get used to it. But uh, surprisingly, like, you would expect people to get hurt, hurt more with that, but they're very good at not injuring you or, or not getting too serious with it. But, yeah, they'll grab your wrist. They'll throw you to the ground. You cannot dribble the ball at all. Like, I'll dribble the ball. And then, what are you doing? All of a sudden, I get taken down with a single leg, and then they run, score on the other end, and I'm getting yelled at again. Like, why are you dribbling? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it was a cool experience. Like, we had, they had so much fun games that we would warm up with. And uh, it just shows, like, it, I understand now, like, how close they are, why they're so close with each other, because all those games, they just make you that much of a better team with each other. Well, believe it or not, I'm also very good at not injuring people, so I can relate. Um, final question <laughs> for you. Sean, Sean Brady, this matchup, do you think it comes down to volume? Because like I mentioned before, you have a 91% takedown defense. You're wrestling with some of the best in the world on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> I, I imagine this fight's going to be on the feet for a lot of it, and it seems like volume is something that you've been able to be a lot more successful at than your opponent is. Yeah, I think it just comes down to heart and who's who's willing to break. And I think that there's no break in me at all. And I think that I can definitely break Sean. And like you said, I got to push that pace and I got to make him uncomfortable. I've been through the trenches. I've been uh, I've had highs and I've had lows in the UFC and I've I've gone through everything that a fighter wants to go through before they become a champion. And he hasn't. He's always been in the lead every single one of his fights. So he's not going to know what to do when this doesn't work or that doesn't work or that doesn't work because everything's always worked for him. So when he gets in there and he doesn't know what to do and he's looking at his corner, that's when I turn it up. That's when I, that's when I show you guys why I'm going to be the champion. Well, you've been an underdog in three of your last four fights. You're unbeaten in those fights. You're an underdog again this weekend, and that's why we remember the name Bilal Muhammad. Appreciate your time taking on Sean Brady in the featured prelim at UFC 280. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. He is two years unbeaten. Malcolm Gordon is back in the octagon, taking on Mohamed Mohaev. Now, I know you don't do a lot of research on who these fighters are or anything, but have people filled you in on Mohamed Mohaev, that he's this hot prospect, 20, 22 years old? Yeah, well, you know what? In all honesty, I have actually been... Uh, I, I've, no, I've known of him for a bit, because... Um, you know, but before I was signed to the UFC, uh, they were talking about signing me to Brave, and I remember watching him in the amateur circuit. So I, I've, uh, I've I've heard of him. Yeah. So you've done your homework on this guy. What do you think of his game? I mean, he's he's a pretty complete fighter for a 22 year old. Uh, but you know, you have a lot of experience, and you have seen a lot of the different circumstances he's going to throw at you in the cage. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I respect the kid a lot actually, and I, I like what he's done, and he's created a lot of um, hype around himself, and he's done really well for himself as well too. So I'm expecting uh, him to to be all the 
um, all the the rave and everything that um, everybody's been expecting, right? right? I'm expecting the, actually the best version of him, to be honest, too. So, but um, yeah, you know, it's another fight in the flyweight division, and uh, it's just another fight. It's also a big risk reward fight, right? I mean, if you end up taking that O away, it does wonders for your career, and I'm sure that that's something that you weighed going into this fight. Yeah, 100%, right? So, um, yeah, I think that, that's exactly it, right? Um, but I also do feel like it's a fantastic matchup. But I think all matchup, all, 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 any fight in this division is a fantastic matchup for me, to be honest, right? You really don't want, you like, you don't, I feel like I'm in the point of my career right now where, and it's been like this for years, that like, once you got signed to the UFC, you were absolutely ready to fight anybody. Um, so I'm absolutely ready to fight any of them. Now, in terms of your training camp for this uh, particular fight, mostly done in London like usual? Yeah, um, it, London was a good place for me, a good mental space for me. And, you know, I bounced between like my, the, where I did my last camps in London and, and whichever. And it's just mostly because, once again, being a Canadian fighter, I feel, uh, I feel a lot of pride um, with doing my camps and, and, and um, doing my camps in Canada. You know, the, I I, lo I love to represent Canada in the sense that you know there's a lot of talent there, like I was saying before in some of my other interviews, um, and I like to showcase that you know that we as a community in Toronto and London, Ontario, could come together and uh, do some good stuff and, and help each other to, to make a, you know get these camps done. Now, last I spoke to you, I remember you ha had told me you were about to get married. So did you get married? Did you go on a honeymoon? And what? Give me give me the info. Yeah, married man, married man, married man. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. We had a good honeymoon and uh, good, good marriage and good, or good, good wedding. Um, a lot of people, you know. It was a great, fantastic time, you know. So yeah, did all, did all, did all of that, and we're ready to get back in here and to get back active again because it was one of those things where you know you're not getting any younger, and I, I actually love fighting, right? So, um. I was I was dying to get back in as well too, but that was an important part of the journey of you know what comes next, and so getting through this wedding and everything like that was important. Does life feel any different now that you're married, or same old? I mean, everything changes every day. So yeah, but yeah, there's also yeah, it's I you try not to think about it, but obviously you know there's a little bit more responsibility now. Um, and uh, that's just it. You know, you're not living for yourself anymore, which is fine. It's a pretty profound thing you said. Everything changes every day. Can you expand on that? I mean, it's the truth, though, really, right? Um, there's, you were constantly evolving as people, and you're constantly, you know, whether it's a wedding or, you know, you're, you're 22 years old and fighting in the UFC and moving out of your parents' place or moving in or, or whichever. It's, um, there's always that next step and that next level in evolution, right? And um, yeah, this was a big step for me. And, and uh, you know, I have a wife, you know, and hopefully some kids soon and that's it, you know? And I guess you've been freeing up time also so you can watch UFC events on Saturday, right? So does she mind that you, you go to the basement, you know, crack open a couple of beers and watch uh, the UFC events every Saturday? Absolutely not. But like I said, I don't really watch too much. You know, it's uh, it's it's hard for me to watch sometimes, right? I uh, I actually just enjoy the 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 peace peace in mind and do my thing. I was being fairly tongue in cheek. I remember you said you you rarely watch any of the events. Yeah, I, I like to watch my friends. I, I'm, Hakeem was fighting. We sat down, and watched that. You know, uh, Jesse Bronson and 
um, you know, and meet those guys, you know. Well, while we're talking about Canadians and mixed martial arts, uh, sadly, Elias Theodoru passed away um, a couple of weeks oh. ago. And I'm sure you knew him yeah. and your paths crossed. Yeah, any interesting stories or anything you, you could share about um, your relationship with him over the years? I mean, yeah, we, we, this community is small. And so he was always a fantastic guy and he was always very positive And it was it was shocking. It was shocking. It, was, it, it truly was. Um, but Elias was always a really good guy to me. And... Um, yeah, just fantastic. You know, I have nothing but great things to say, like everybody else. Just a, a really positive, um, influential guy in that sense with great head, set of hair. Yeah, he certainly did have a, a good lid, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it seems every Canadian that I ask about this just has glowing things to say. And I mean, my experiences with him were, were very much the same. It's just like when you were in the room with him, he made you feel like you were the only thing that mattered to him at that point in time. Like it was very, he was just a very personable guy, which I think uh, really resonated with everybody. Yeah. 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 He was, he was very personable. He was very positive. He was very funny. He always made people laugh. He was, you know, always motivating. And I, I can't say what else you would want to be as a person than that. So in that respect, he was an amazing human being still confusing to me like when, when somebody young passes away it's always so much different like my grandmother passed away in january and she was 90 oh, years old I'm sorry to hear that yeah but she, i mean she's yeah. 90 years old right so i can come to grips with it but with, with elias he was so young and in shape and it's just such a shock that it's, it's still hard for me to come to grips with it on a day-to-day -day basis just to think that he's not around anymore it's it's very i don't know if you have the same experience or, or if you've experienced uh the, the deaths of anybody young in your life but i, I haven't not not many thankful like i'm thankful for that but it's just it makes it very uh surreal at times yeah well i've, I've had a couple of uh you know some close friends and obviously you know this coach sean Tompkins um was probably one of the hardest hit for me um in that respect because you know he was still in my eyes relatively young and, and that was you know for myself chris Wardeski, sam stowe mark hominick and a lot of the kids and up-and-comers in london ontario and a lot of even some of the fighters and the greats and everything he, he was an influential person in that sense for all of them as well too so that was my experience with um you know my first big loss in that sense um and you know yeah it's, it's always terrible and you always you know sean was the closest to me in that regard for that so um i kind of hold on to that and you know it's kind of a motivating factor to continue on the legacy for him because that's the absolute least i can do yeah, and I mean, it's been, I can't believe it's been 11 years since Coach Tompkins passed away also. I mean, I think I'd only met him on one occasion. I wasn't covering the sport at the time, but uh, the amount uh, of importance he has on Canadian mixed martial arts, is I mean, it just can't really be summed up into words. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You so, know, he was he was, truly was the coach, you know, I, I, they, they, they named the coach of the year after him, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine some of his disciples will be in your corner this weekend? Absolutely. Well, we brought out uh, Chris Hordeski. Um, unfortunately, some of the other members were unable to make it, but um, we have, you know, the staple Earthfam, um, Maruzi with us, and um, we brought out one other, one other um, up-and-comer that was with us. Um, and yeah, so, but Chris Hordeski is definitely going to be in that corner. Um, he'll, he'll be wiped up, and that's the, one of the team talking staples. We always have to have at least one in the corner with us. I saw a picture. But Sean will forever be in the corner, so... He's here. Absolutely. And he, his legacy will, will carry on through Chris when he, uh, when he coaches uh, and, of course, Mark Hominick. But I saw a picture of you with Chris. This guy just doesn't age. He refuses to. It's unbelievable to me. No. Yeah. I, I, 
don't, I, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And still no facial hair too, right? So and he's yeah, the OG baby-faced assassin. Yeah, 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 100%. All right, Malcolm, all the best to you uh, this Saturday. Yourself against Mohamed Mikhaev at UFC 280. Uh, always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much, Aaron, once again, my man. He's one of the top employees of Dominance MMA. We talked about this before. He doesn't want to give himself a title, so I'll just introduce him as Ali Abdelaziz, one of the most well-known managers in mixed martial arts. And it's been some time since you haven't had a champion. What, it's been like two months but uh, you're looking to have another one this weekend with Islam Makhachev against Charles Oliveira. Um, do you feel like the, the cupboard feels empty without a champion in the, for dominance MMA right now? You know what's crazy? Like people like thinking about like, oh, champion. I do this, man, because I love this, you know. Um, you know, for other people's legacy, not for my legacy, you know. Technically, I do still have champion because Kale is a champion. Last year, PFL, they still are current champions. You know, when I'm talking about a UFC champion, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't attach myself to champion. I don't think our, my fighters attach themselves to the belt. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's a destiny. Sometimes you win, sometimes to lose. And this is how beautiful about the sport. But yeah, for, for so many years, I'm always having a champion uh, in the UFC. But listen, you know, Islam might become a champion. Kamaru is going to get his belt back. Magamat Anklaev is going to be a champion. Uh, Henry might come back and get a title shot and be a champion. And uh, <laughs> I might have four champions in six months. You never know. And stakes are high for Caitlin Jukagian this weekend also. Yes, sir. But Muhammad Bilal, Adrian Shakazian, um, uh, Benil, uh, Zubaira, Abu Bakr, uh, Islam Makhachev, many guys, you know. Now, this main event, tell me if you agree with this. For years, everybody wanted Ferguson and Khabib. It fell through six times. But the reason why people yes. wanted it is because they wanted to see how Ferguson would do off of his back against Khabib because he was such a good grappler in terms of submissions. I feel like this fight is kind of the next best thing between Islam and Charles. Islam is such a dominant grappler. And while I think his submission skills are probably even better than Khabib's, I do think that Oliveira is going to be able to pose the kind of threats off of his back that many people thought Ferguson would have been able to do with Khabib. Do you feel kind of the same way? No, I never thought Ferguson and Khabib would be close. I just stylistically, Khabib, his game built around smashing guys like, like Tony. Stylistically, Tony's a, great, Tony's a great fighter, but stylistically, that was the worst fight ever for Tony Ferguson, right? And when it comes to Charles Oliveira, I think Charles Oliveira, I think he was much better than Tony on his back, for sure. It's, it's on a different level. But also, I think Islam is one of the best grappler and best wrestler in the UFC right now. Uh, I don't think people understand how good he is. Uh, and, uh, and arguably, technically, he, he can say maybe he's better than Habib. Habib just he was more ferocious, more reckless, uh, pushed the pace maybe a little bit harder. But about skills, I think Islam's skills is, is up there too, you know. And uh, and I think also, Islam is game built the guys to suffocate guys like Charles Oliveira. Not taking anything away from Oliveira, I think he's very dangerous. He's uh, improving every fight, and I think he have a great team around him. But the one thing is, you can learn wrestling in three months, and I think this is gonna be a, is gonna be his downfall. You know, he tried to learn how to wrestle instead of sticking to his own game. And this is going to be his problem in this fight because 
I think Islam can take him down anytime he wants. Well, we saw with Justin, who's another one of your clients, one of the problems that he had with Charles is after he hurt Charles, Charles would roll to his back, and Justin didn't want to engage him there, and I think most people don't want to engage Charles there. I don't think Islam has that problem. He will not do that against uh, Islam. You know, Justin, Justin Gishu is motivated to knock him out, and he hurt him two times, but Charles, you know, recovered well, come back and catch Gage, right? And he hurt him with a punch before he submitted him. But in reality, if he's going to pull guard with Islam, Islam is going to be on top of him. And you're going to see uh, Charles Oliveira, Paul Felder too. He's going to suffocate him. And, you know, you know, Paul Felder is a legend, but it's, they're in a two different worlds when it comes to grappling. I think Islam is, is maybe one of the best grappler in UFC history in the lightweight division. I spoke to Islam this week, and he told me he's being coached by crazy coach Khabib. He says Khabib just drives them so hard in practice. And I was asked by my producer this week, you know, how do you compare Islam to Khabib? And I said, I think Islam might actually be more skilled than Khabib. It's like you were just saying. But Khabib had the killer instinct that there are just so few fighters in, so few athletes really in sports. Like you look at the Michael Jordans of the world, like Khabib had that kind of a killer instinct. How does Islam measure up to Khabib in that category, in your opinion? Islam killer too. You know, you see his last four opponents. You know, he finished all of them. You know, he's listen. At the end of the day, it's 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 a finishing guys game like like drugs. You know, you get addicted to it and you keep doing it. You know, what I'm saying you get addicted to it. But in reality, Islam is capable of submitting Charles Oliveira, knocking Charles Oliveira out. You know. And listen, Charles Oliveira is capable too. He submitted a lot of guys and knocked him out. But I think right now is a, he's getting, you know, knocked down, dragged down, boom, catch somebody. Knocked down, dragged down, boom, catch somebody. He almost got knocked out with a guy who was coming from with Bellator with a loss. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this Chandler guy, you know. But in reality, uh, Islam, is, Islam is no Chandler. Islam is nobody. Islam is Islam. And Islam... He's the least head fighter in UFC, uh, I believe, history. You know, that's if I'm not wrong. Uh, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard to hit him. I trained with him for many years. I know this man for ten years. I never see him tap to anyone. You understand? In the gym, and in the gym is very normal to tap. I know him for almost ten years. I never see this man tap, and I see him tap world champion, ADCC champion, absolute champion. He's a problem, man. He's a problem. And, and I think the reason Islam have not fought any of these guys in the top five, because people are talking about it, right? Because none of them willing to fight him. The only person who's willing to fight him was Benil, but Benil got injured, right? You know, Poirier don't want, Chandler don't want, Conrad, none of these guys want, you know? And you know what? I don't blame them. It's okay. But in reality, he earned it like a blue-collar worker from the ground up, and now uh, Saturday night, he's going to be UFC lightweight champion, undisputed lightweight champion. And, you know, Charles Oliveira is going to go back, you know, uh, you know, live his normal life. You know, that's what's going to happen. You mentioned Benil, and Benil for some time had said that he was going to be the backup for the main event. But we found out recently it's going to be Alexander Volkanovsky. What happened there? And also Dana White is saying that Volkanovsky is next in line to face the winner. So that, that hurts Benil, I think, a lot if Benil ends up getting a win over the weekend. So tell me about what happened behind the scenes that uh, stopped Benil from being the backup? Listen, Dana was the greater promoter on this planet, right? Promoter promotes fights, and he want to, you know, 
uh, Alexander is the pound for pound king. It's, it's, it's a bringing element to it. But listen, let's see, you know, uh, if, 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 if somebody miss weight, I, one thing I can promise you, I'm blowing everybody's phone up. I'm showing up people's houses. I'm, I'm bothering people. And I'm going to do my job because Benil, you know, that was the plan. Benil wanted to be on the car to be the backup. You know, that was the plan from the beginning with the UFC, you know. And we're always on the same page. And I think this one kind of slipped uh, uh, from us because in reality, they always keep their word to me. They never lie to me. And I'm not saying they're lying, but in a way, listen, I understand there's a big card in Abu Dhabi. And, uh, you know, big respect to Alexander Falnowski because the guy, he have everything to lose. He's the pound for pound best fighter in the world. And, you know, you you can't just come try to fight somebody like Islam Makhachaf like that. But we get to it if something happens. Right, right now, Benil focusing on Gamrat. He's a tough opponent. You know, uh, we you know we have to focus on, on, on Gamrat, right? And Benil is happy. He doesn't care about next. He only care about Gamrat. And that's it. But all this uh, she say, her say, I know what I'm going to do. I know what the UFC going to do. And that's what's matter. Usually, you're not allowed to bet on fights. We learned about that this week, that managers and fighters and trainers are, are not supposed to be betting on fights going forward. But it's rare that I see a betting line that where my eyes just pop out of my head. Benil Darius to win by submission is 10 to 1. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that because Benil is an elite grappler in the division of elite grapplers. You look at Charles and Makhachev, but Benil's right up there with him. I was just very surprised to see that. People forget, but he's a world champion in jiu-jitsu. But it's okay. You know, listen, I don't care about that line. I don't care about none of the stuff. Uh, it, it, it's a fight. Anything can happen in a fight. You know what I'm saying? Benil be knocking people out, be submitting people been stopping people left and right. You know, he's on one of the greatest runs too in UFC right now. You know, he's on a seven or eight fight winning streak. And, you know, Benil is, he's my brother. I love him to, to death. And is anyone deserve anything is Benil. It's not his fault. He doesn't trash talk. He doesn't, you know, you know, have somebody's pushing him, you know, but in a way he's one of the best fighters in the world today. I know that UFC know that his opponent know that. And, October 26th, we're going to know what Benil going to do. That's it. But everything else, brother, doesn't matter. I think Islam is going to wait, wait. I hope Charles will make weight. And uh, I hope we'll put on this fight because 11 winning streak versus 12, uh, 10 winning streak, it never happened in the UFC. You know? And this is, uh, we all lucky enough to get this fight. You know, Charles Arvana never won this fight. Never wanted to go to Abu Dhabi. You know, uh, he find every execution not to fight Islam. And I believe he got paid to fight Islam in Abu Dhabi. I'm, I'm happy he should. But in reality, you know, you know, uh, inshallah, Islam is going to be the undisputed light heavyweight, uh, light short, lightweight champion on Saturday. And listen, inshallah, can go back to the favela, chill there. Let's look ahead beyond UFC 280. Henry Cejudo, he's in the the pool. He's being tested by USADA. What's next for him? It seems like there's not really a great fit for him right now in terms of an opponent, but how eager is he to get back into competition? Listen, this is, you know, I, I sat with the UFC two and a half months ago, three months ago. Me, UFC, and Henry Sohuro. They said, you're going to get the next title shot. Keep training. Get back in shape, right? Listen. 
it's, it's, it's crazy how TJ Dillashaw say he's the best pantomime of all the time. And he got knocked out by uh, by Henry and steroid. You know, you know, I think he's one of the greatest comeback athletes of all the time. And Henry's a good hold name. UFC, they want to make money. The only thing, just to be honest, make me nervous if O'Malley win. You understand? That, that's the only thing that make me nervous. But if... If, if, if TJ won uh, or, or Aljamain win, Henry will fight. But, you know, and I think Peter Young, O'Malley, we have to see what happened. But in reality, and Henry can fight Alexander Volnowski too. You know, listen, Henry is not looking for easy fight. He wants to fight a champion. My opinion, he's still a champion. He never lost his belt, right? Actually, two belts. Henry Sowerus have a right uh, uh, to do whatever he wants. But he just needs... To get off his media a little bit and chill and and just uh, it just he make he make straight up he make the UFC make nervous because they don't know what Henry want to do and I understand they have a belt that they need to protect but I can tell you this Henry will fight with the belt we will win the belt and we defend it and he might want to go to 145 but I, he gave me his word he said he'll fight with the belt defend it and go, maybe want to go up that's it. The UFC, you know, I'm not, you know, if I give my word to them, I have to follow. I have to keep my word, you know, and I will keep my word. Henry promised me he will defend it 100%, you know. Now, we haven't spoken uh, about Kayla Harrison sometimes. She's in the, the finale of the uh, PFL once again. It seems like nobody's going to beat her at, at this rate. They just signed Aspen Ladd. They're looking at doing a 145-pound division next year. Two questions for you. Could we see Kayla Harrison compete in two divisions in the PFL? Let's make it three questions. Will she be in the PFL next year? And what's Chris Cyborg's status? Because nobody really knows if she's still a free agent. Bellator is talking about her like she's still on, on their roster, but... Has that been done? Is she still with Bellator? What's going on there? I can, listen, Kayla Harrison, still a PFL fighter. Next year will be a PFL fighter. Being in the season or not, we don't know. This is a conversation between me and Don and Pete and, and Ray and these guys, right? But they can sign King Kong. They can sign Garzella. Doesn't matter. Kayla is the greatest female fighter of all the time. She's going to smash all this girl. You know, listen, we know her opponent changed her physique, her everything changed about her. Still, Kayla going to go there and whip her, right? Cyborg, she will not be in any promotion where Kayla is. Cyborg, and I respect Cyborg, and I like Cyborg, but she want, she want to have nothing to do with Kayla. Nothing to do with Kayla. But, and it's okay. I don't think Amanda Nunez, nothing to do with Kayla. None of them want to have to do with Kayla because Kayla, they're lucky enough, PFL doesn't have elbows because a lot of these girls will have holes in their face. They will not be able to have a boyfriend after they fight Kayla because if she can elbows, it will be a big problem for all these chicks, right? But in a way, like, let's be real, man. Everybody say Kayla fight tomato cans, right? Why Cyborg? She don't come to PFL. Why Cyborg, when she hurt Kayla going to Bellator, she don't, you don't want to be in Bellator anymore. Amanda Nunez, you know, she left the whole entire gym because Kayla there. This, you know, the only girl I think she'll fight crazy enough, 
and I respect her, Juliana Pena. But Juliana Pena too. I think she's the only person will willing to fight Kayla. Brother, who's uh, uh, Aspenlet? I don't even know who's Aspenlet, to be honest with you. You know, but you know, if she's a great competitor, no problem, bring her. But hey, Kayla, she make 145 before uh, at Invicta for a lot less money. You know, she can make 45, but all this, but she's the queen of 155. All these girls, they don't need to cut weight. They need to beef up and fight her at 155. Or they can just go fight in Invicta or somewhere else. But she's the 155 queen. Uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Julia, but she's supposed to fight Kayla. She pull out. Now she's fighting, uh, what's her name? Aspen. You know? None of these girls, they want to fight Kayla, you know, and I don't know Julia about I think she's a nice lady. But in reality, why Julia about will fight Kayla? Like, you'll get fucking smashed. It doesn't make sense. And they all pull out. They're injured, you know. They don't feel good, you know what I'm saying? The only, you know, her opponent now, she has courage because, you know, listen, you cannot tell me this girl, she does not have the best doctors and best supplements right in the world but it's okay because you know pfl doesn't have drug testing the commission is going to test but we're going to see what happens but if you test this if you test some of these girls now they're none of them going to pass drug test and i'm not mentioning anyone specific but i know kayla's clean uh we know who on steroid who look on steroid who's their voice change but girl said no what they can take all the steroids they want and I still beat their ass. Do you think the PFL should implement a drug testing program like the UFC has? Or do you think that it's, you know, it's expensive to do something along those lines and it's hard for promotions to do? PFL a lot of money. PFL is a new company. You know, I don't expect this from PFL. The commission responsibility to do this. You know, they pay the commission. That's the governor body. Like, you know, PFL, like, you know, they, they do a good enough job. You know what I'm saying? And pay guys so much money. And now, you know, I'm sure at one point, you know, they they, they are lead. They 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 are more than NFL and NBA than everybody because they are lead, right? And I'm sure at one point they will do it. But I'm not gonna put this on them because they don't so much already, right? And I'm not trying to kiss their butt or you know brown nose or like that. But these guys spend some serious cash. And like I said before, every promoter out there given opportunity. I'm grateful for all of you, even if I don't like you. I still am grateful for you. And, you know, you know, every year, like, these guys pay millions of dollars to fight us. Every year, I have four or five champions in this promotion, you know. And without them, none of these people want to make money. Kayla will not make money. I will not make money. And how I can put a burden on them, and they're really doing such a great job, you know. And now I see other managers signing like guys with them and game brave. I like that, you know. If they're giving people money, just sign them. Listen, you have Bellator, you have the UFC, you have BFL, you have 1FC, one, uh, you know. If we don't have these companies, we screwed, all of us, you too, you know. And we're lucky enough, we have all these four big promotions. Who is in the lead right now in the industry, you know? Final question for you. Um, I know you've been in a pretty public dispute with uh, Fernand Lopez over Salim Trebelsi, who's the champion uh, of RS in, in the heavyweight division. 
Now, without getting too much into the, the weeds here about, you know, who did what and, and what the situation is, all I'm curious about is, is Slim stuck now? Like, I mean, is he not going to be able to fight anywhere now? Because if he's having a dispute with his manager and the manager also runs Aris, is he just not going to be able to fight anywhere? Listen, bro, like me, I'm a man, you know, I'm a man. I, I, fly, I like to fix my problem uh, behind closed door like men, you know. Uh, this guy is almost 60 years old, you know. He want to go on every podcast. He used this, he used my name to promote himself, you know. But in reality, it's not about me or him. It's about this kid. First of all, in France, it's illegal. It's illegal because the soccer uh, term to be a manager and promoter, you understand? And this is also a different conversation for him with the French court and law. You know, Salim now have a lawyer, you know, I don't want to say too much. He's going to have a problem, right? And honestly, I don't really have personal beef with this guy. I don't have anything. He said, I'm threatening him, try to kill him. Like, it's crazy. Like, what did he do to me for me to try to do anything to him? You know what I'm saying? It's like, how are we going to put my conversation and, and the media and record me and like, bro, I can give a shit what he say, what the media say. I don't care. People have been talking about me for years. I have grown big business. I keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger. But in reality, you know, Salim have a UFC out in his contract. He lied about this. But in a way now, I'm, I'm getting older, but, you know, of course, I, I, I handle business before my way. And everybody know my way. But I'm, I don't need this shit. You know what I'm saying? But don't get it twisted. If somebody cross me, I'm a man. He's a man. We're going to handle our business. It's no problem. You understand? But I don't talk about it. I do it. You know? But in reality, this poor kid, first of all, he's illegal. He should not fall in the promotion from the first place. Right? The French government don't allow it. He doesn't allow it. He can lose his promoter license or Arisnam license for this, right? But this is not my goal because he given opportunities to people, right? But in a way, don't try to fucking be a slumdog millionaire and hold people hostages. You understand? Because I even said to him, hey, go ahead and manage him. It's fine. I don't know you guys have any agreement. No problem. And he said, no. He wanted to see himself, right? But he broke the law in France. You can't be a manager and promoter. He have a UFC out. He said he doesn't, but he does. You know? And now, you know, everybody know me. I'm going to stick behind Salim. I don't care how much I spend, how much money I'm going to do, how many fight I will fight. But I'm never... And I want to ask a question too. This guy is a Muslim, Muslim, young Muslim guy, live illegal in France. There's so many Muslim fighters managed by this guy or trained by this guy. Like, hey, how are we going to allow this guy do this to your Muslim brother? And he can do the same thing to you. And this why I don't judge nobody. You understand? And, you know, and, and, and honestly, I don't really hate Fernand or dislike him, but like, in a way, like, hey, grow up. You're like 60 years old. Why you want to go on interview and talk shit and all this stuff? It's not this big. Salim is 5-0, oh, you know? Get over it. 
you know, go ahead and manage him and take him to the UFC. I don't care. But don't block the kid. Don't try to ruin his life. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, whatever he's doing, what is wrong. I used to be a manager and promoter and I stopped because you guys forced me to stop. Every, how many manager and promoter right now going on? It's like seven of them. None of you guys talk about them. But for me, everybody was talking about it. And I, you make me stop. Your media make me stop. But what about him? You guys are not saying shit. That's how fake this MMA media is. Most of them, you know. And I'm not saying you are. You've always been silent with me. But in a way, how are we going to allow the guy to ruin a guy who is illegally? This guy right now, he running from a country to country in Europe because he's scared immigration might catch him. You understand how messed up the situation is because it's become public? You know, it's a shame on you, all these Muslim fighters, whatever you are, to allow this guy to do this to your brothers. You know, and in a way, honestly, I think this is eagle. I don't think he give a shit about Salim. He never dreamed Salim, you know. He used to make him sleep in the gym, use him for sparring with Francis, you know. Francis the one told me about him to help him. I didn't know Salim from scrap. You know, I'm just helping a guy who's illegally living in Europe. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, uh, and I did it for the bottom of my heart. You know, he asked me for 90,000 euro to release him. 90,000 euro for a guy, you pay $4,000. I actually said, you know what? I'll give you 30,000 euro. And he said, no, I want 90,000 euro. And he posted all this on, on, on Instagram and Twitter. But it's not this big of a problem. It's not the beef people think you is. But if you record my conversation, you know, talking to you, or you put my text messages on Twitter, you think the UFC can ever trust you or Bellator, you know? And cut only the conversation, what I said, sound bad. You know, I can see it to you too, here. You know, if I'm going to smash you, I will smash you. But I don't care about you. I don't care about you. But in a way, you know, that shows my character. Salim is a guy who's an, a young Muslim Arab guy from Tunisia who's illegally living in France. And all I want to do is help him. He can manage him. No problem. But don't do this to this kid. Have some heart. Have some dignity. Have integrity. People send me, people say I have a criminal record. People send me this guy's criminal record. If I'm a, like him, I would have posted on Instagram and Twitter. But I don't care because nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes in life, right? But I can tell you this. I didn't do some of that shit he does because if I posted it, he's done. And none of his Muslim brother we train with, we even look in his eyes, you know. But you know what? I believe in people can get better. And people can improve themselves. And I don't want to hurt him. But why he want to hurt this kid? I don't understand. But that's it, man. Is that I really don't want to talk about the subject. He got me talked about it, and now I'm upset. Well, listen, in the interest of transparency. I know how you roll. You and I have had issues in the past, and we've gotten on the phone and we've talked it out, and that's what we do. So, but this is what men do. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know. But this guy is not a man. You know what I'm saying? And I see it in his face. I see it in his right in his breath, and he can he can do nothing about it because he put himself. Who does this? Who put a text message between you and a different man? And a text message he put, he make himself look bad. 
Because I tell him, hey, go ahead and manage him. Take him back. No problem. He said, I want 90,000 euros. You understand? It's crazy. You know, and also too, you know, how this guy have a UFC fight pass? You know, now he empowered. I don't, I don't care. Man. I'm not trying to get involved in politics, but, you know, it's all good. It's all good. God always have a plan. And, you know, you know, we have Allah. This guy is, is a young Muslim kid who's struggling. Bro, this guy travels from country to country not to get captured immigration because the story becomes so big. But it's okay, man. It's okay. You know what? You know, always God beat evil. And I think this guy is very evil. You know, he's very evil to do something like this to a young kid. But it's okay. It's no problem. We will handle it. But, hey, my pocket is a lot deeper than his pocket. And I'm going to be behind him. Get ready to spend all your money. I just hope for Salim's case that he's able to compete again and, and do what he loves. That's, Bro, at the end I'm of the day, that's what matters to me. I don't care about managing Salim. Well, that's the part about it that's interesting to me, right? Is like... He approached you to manage him. You realized that he had a deal with somebody else. And you said, okay, man, like he's got a UFC deal now. Manage him and you can make the royalties. That, I mean, that's, I that's the, what happened, right? He can come to me today, Ali. Okay, I'm, I'm going to unblock him. I want to manage him. I said, go ahead. I don't care. But don't do this to the kid. The kid did not, did maybe whatever he does. Don't like hurt him. You're hurting him. Do you understand? He's hurting the kid, you know? He can manage him. He can train him. He can do everything with it. But you think this kid hates him? How we do not hate him? Somebody do this to you. But I'm willing, just from my heart, not to hurt this young man. Just no problem. Manage him, train him, be his father, be his mother, be everything to him. Just be a good person. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Correct your mistakes. And if I say anything about you, maybe out of anger, maybe you make me upset. We men, you know, called your name, you call me name. I prefer him call me name than post my message or Instagram post. You know, this is like coward style. You understand? You know, and, uh, and I, I don't understand so many people around the guy from Dagestan. They need to teach him how to be a real man because people in Dagestan, they're real men. You understand? But... I don't know, man. I, 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 uh, I'm done talking about this guy. But if he wants to manage it, go ahead. Manage it. Go ahead. Let him become a UFC champion. Because he believes Salim can become a UFC champion. This is why he, have not, he won 90,000 euros. Hey, let him be a UFC champion. Find a, a common ground with Salim, and it's okay. I don't care. I wish you guys the best of luck. But don't try to hurt him. But long as he try to hurt him, I'm going to help Salim. But if he make peace with him, I can say, hey, I love you guys. Good luck. I was uh, an asshole. Enjoy yourself. But don't try to hurt the kid. You know, that's it. If any fire out there, you know, somebody try to hurt him. Remember, we don't go inside this cage and fight. They do. Remember this. Everybody needs to remember this. They go inside the cage and get punched in the face. And fighters need to be more respected. We don't. We don't fight. Managers don't fight. Coaches don't fight. Promoters don't fight. Fighter fight. And people get it twisted sometimes. 
fighter without fighter will be nothing. Don't try to hurt fighters. All right. Well, you're very passionate about this subject, and hopefully it does work out for Salim. Uh, appreciate your time. Hopefully we can uh, talk again soon. And uh, best of luck to you and all your fighters this weekend at the UFC 280. You have many of them on the card. You got it, brother. Thank you. A massive thank you to all of our guests. UFC President Dana White, TJ Dillashaw, Bilal Muhammad, Malcolm Gordon, and Ali Abdelaziz. Thank you all for joining me on the show as guests. And thank you all, the listener, whether you're listening on TSN Radio in Toronto or TSN Radio in Ottawa or to the podcast. Really appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. One thing I always ask at the end of these shows is if you uh, do subscribe to the podcast, go to wherever you found said podcast or whatever platform you use, and uh, please leave us a nice review. It goes a long way, and I always do appreciate that. And uh, if you want to check out any of my reporting, any videos, any interviews, you can go to www.aaron.report. And for, of course, my UFC content, it is also available at tsn.ca slash UFC. Appreciate you all for tuning in. And until next week, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.